You're listening to episode 122 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Fellas, last week was a disaster. Sean turned out he's a furry. The Peter Cords were destroyed because Phil was attacking and harassing my client, Pete and Bessie, who, also a believer in the movie Venom, has been chastised multiple times by this assailant, a verbal assailant, Bill Casey. Your Honor, I object. And Over somehow, world. somehow, Kale got older. Isn't that just how aging works? <laughs> I, don't, no, no, no. I don't mean to no. question my, my honorable counsel, but... No, he just got older. <laughs> when my man Marco drives the car, he goes 65 miles per hour, he's going to speed limit, but then by the end, he runs out of gas and he just fizzles out, because that's what just happened there. That's a Guilty. good point, actually, <laughs> Phil. I was thinking of, like, how can we dismantle Marco? But I think Verbal assailant. he did it himself. He just came in hot and then petered out. <laughs> you can't spell petered out well, without I Pete. liked what he had to say because... That's true. I liked what he had to say because he was defending me. So, pro- go, good job, Marco. Great intro. Philip, Philip, one more like that and you are held in contempt. Oh, shit. There you go. The whole Thank you, system is rigged. I rest my case. Yeah, it is. You can't handle the truth. Didn't ask for it. Also, <laughs> I'd just like to point out for the record, I am not a furry. I defy anyone. <laughs> I defy anyone to look at that picture of Cheetah and not have a react, okay? I looked at that picture of Cheetah and my first thought was, this is furry culture. And <laughs> No. And Sean Sean is a part of it. Case closed. No. Bam. Marco put in a gavel thing there. The <laughs> uh, hell? Uh, he says he defies. It's I'm more the, like he defiles, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> You're on thin ice, Mr. Casey, but I'll allow it. <laughs> Wait. Kale, you've got to adopt your foghorn leghorn voice and become the honorable country judge, Kale Ward. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not your big city lawyer. <laughs> one, boy, I tell you, boy, boy, one more comment like that and you're going straight to the pokey. I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> That's a straight sassafras. All right. Uh, this, in fact, is a comic book podcast. Known as the Comics Pals, thank you for joining us this week. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, Captain Marvel is on the way out, and uh, it's getting some pretty bad reviews. But are they real? Uh, Guys, I don't think we're allowed to see the movie anymore. The incels are telling us we can't. Mm. No. Please, no, Stabby. (laughs) Go around. Do we? <laughs> are we gonna listen to a bunch of dudes who don't have sex? Uh, well, if you listen to I mean, this, I podcast, do every week on this podcast, yeah. damn it, Sean! <laughs> uh, and then uh, we're also gonna be talking about how someone from the MCU has retired their role officially, and uh, the final nail in the coffin of the Netflix Marvel relationship. All that's coming up. But before we get to that, I want to let you guys know where you can find us. We are all over the internet. We are on SoundCloud. We are on iTunes. We are on all the other podcast hosting platforms except Spotify because we're too cool for them. We are on social media at Twitter and Instagram. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you very much. You can make sure to leave us a like, drop us a comment. 
share this video with your friends and subscribe to our channel. All of those things are free to do and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. Now, I mentioned Netflix and how there's probably going to be uh, no more relationship between them and Marvel, which is true. We're going to go into that later, but that didn't stop Netflix from tweeting out their rankings of the X-Men. So what? That what? NX on Netflix took to Twitter and they tweeted out unprompted for absolutely no reason. Their rankings of the X-Men based on overrated or underrated. So what, what I'm going to do huh. all right, is all I'm right, going to say right. the name of the X-Men and you're going to okay. tell me if they overrated them, underrated them or correctly rated them. So what what Netflix said. Okay, here we go. Now, how do we know <laughs> if they're overrated or not? It's according to Netflix. Okay. He just right. explained it, Phil. Okay. I just All right. I'm, I'm, I'm falling behind. Let's do this. It's just like you and I huh? All right. Yep. <laughs> here we go. Pete's on it today, man. <laughs> <laughs> Making up for lost time, boys. Here we go. Wolverine. Over. Overrated. Over. Correctly rated. Overrated. Damn it. Yeah, come on. Gambit. Oh, wait. Listen, is there an extra category? Because he's <laughs> way the fuck overrated. <laughs> yeah. I agree, I, I agree with that. I agree with that personally, but I don't know if that's what they're, they're going to say. Are, are we overrated. keeping score here? Because we all have one. I Over, have zero. Yeah, Pete has zero. Okay, so on Gambit. Over. 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 Correctly rated. Overrated. Boom. <laughs> How's it feel to be in the loser's bracket, Phil? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to come up from behind. That's how you prefer it. Storm. Whoa. Correctly. Correctly. Correctly rated. Everybody's right. Boom. Kitty Pride. Under. Correctly. Correct. Underrated. Underrated. Damn. Boom. Boom. Damn it. We're back in there. Damn. <laughs> uh, Nightcrawler. Under. Under. Correctly. <laughs> Under. Underrated. Yes, Damn it. sir. Damn it. No, Gambit's overrated. Not, not under. <laughs> Rogue. Hmm. Correctly. Under. Under. Kale, did you jump in? Ah, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take a bullet for this one. I'm gonna say over. Wow. Definitely correctly rated. Beast. Under. Beast? No, correctly. Over. Underrated. Damn. Oh, damn. Wait, I lost track. Who's winning? You have to keep track of your own score, guys. God damn it. Oh, shit. <laughs> I know I've got two wrong. I think I'm I think I'm four and two. Alright. Uh and I, I've got four. We've we've also got Colossus. Under. Hundred percent under. My dude's underrated. Yeah, underrated. Yeah, under. under, yeah. Overrated. You got the wrong over shit. there at Netflix. <laughs> no wonder Marvel's no longer looking at Netflix and chill. <laughs> we know what a we know what a, a Marvel or a Netflix a X Men show would look like. 
Um, yeah, hot garbage. Just, just, <laughs> just a couple more here. Jubilee. Ugh. Under. Over. Over. Correctly. Underrated. Hell That's where my gut Hell went. Yeah. And Again, her place on the TV show made her overrated. Yeah, but she's underrated in general. No, she's not. Last but not least, Cyclops. Over. Over. Cyclops was right. Underrated. Kale? You know it's over. I'm going to say correctly. Phil was right. Cyclops is underrated. Overrated. For this one, they actually gave reasoning. His transformation in the comics from loyal soldier to rebel was super cool, even if he ultimately became something of a villain. So did, did, did anybody keep track of their scores? Yeah, I think I won. I, f- I fell apart there at the end. I, I lost pretty hard. <laughs> so nobody knows exactly what their number Thank was. Thank you, though. everyone. I'm glad to be right. God, no. I'm not just going <laughs> to give this to Phil. I don't appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you didn't win, so... I know, I just don't want him to win. Blow in my kisses. What's that? You want a speech? Oh, I can't. I don't have one ready on furling paper. My fellow peasants. Wait, here's a bouquet of flowers. Okay, go. That includes you. That's right. I don't put myself above the government. Phil's a blue collar champion. He's a working class hero. Anyway. the, The worst of all of us. Ultimately, I won because I knew all the answers. Uh, <laughs> all right, Alex Trebek. And that's capitalism. Yeah. Don't you love oh, it? Oh, Jeopardy. That's the that's the show. Oh, I thought it was capitalism. <laughs> all right. So let's let's jump into the pals polls here. So from Kale, we've got Corto Maltese and the Secret Rose. What is this? Ooh. So this is one of the uh, longtime listeners will know. This is one of my favorite uh, Euro comics. Um, series. It's uh, I've described it described it in the past as sort of uh, cowboy bebop meets like World War One. Um, it's a longtime classic from um, famous comics artist uh, Hugo Pratt. So the synopsis of this of this one uh, really uh, interested me. It is uh, so I'm just going to read it here real quick. Corto Maltese enters the crossroads of magic and the occult, astrology and history, religion and mythology in the first English-language translation of Pratt's award-winning book. That sounds dope as hell. Yeah, that sounds cool. Awesome. And uh, from Pete, we've got Life is Strange number four. Yeah, so I've called attention to this book a couple times. Um, Regular listeners know I'm a big fan of Life is Strange. I actually just tracked down issues two and three uh, this week because I had kind of, like, got lost on the the schedule and, like, all my shops were only ordering, like, one copy and I found uh, two back issues. So I'm really excited to get caught up on that this week and uh, I think there's one more. I think it's only a five. So it's we're, we're wrapping up here. Awesome. Very, very cool. Uh, so Phil and Kale both chose Shazam number three. Yeah, Shazam. I, it's really hard to get a Shazam series right. I think we've talked about that kind of before, but Jeff Johns is a, there's one guy in this industry that just 
you could tell loves the history of comics and just embraces it warmly is Jeff Johns. And in a lot of ways, I think that kind of personifies Captain Marvel or Shazam um, in the sense that in the 40s, that was like the most fun-loving character that was being published uh, at the time. And through two issues, I've really, really enjoyed it. And we left off on a real uh, teaser there. Uh, I'm not going to say what it was in case you haven't read it, but uh, we'll see where it goes. I'm excited. I think the artist is changing soon uh as well that's unfortunate yeah so they I, were uh who, who's the artist on the first two dale eaglesham yeah they, oh, yeah they had a really good like that was a good combo i felt like the way that john's was writing this story like and his art just meshed really really well together you know it has yeah, like a very yeah, like yeah. upbeat kind of feel um and I, I like that it takes place in philly that's where I was going. The most important part of this book is that it takes place in Philadelphia Fever. All that, John. Phil also chose Martian Manhunter number three. Nice. Let's um, fucking go, baby. I really like this title a lot. Um, it's so good. I'm. I still have burned in both my retinas and my brain the Martian sex from the first issue. That was two pages. Hot, hot ass. I know, Marco. I know that's. The, I know that's your jam. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I didn't realize that was coming out this week. That's that's a pull for me too. I've really been enjoying Martian Manhunter. Awesome. Yeah, it's it, it's a great combination. Uh, the art is great. The the story is very interesting and engaging. I'm really curious where this goes. In general, this this slate of these newer DC uh, books, the core seven, have been phenomenal. And these two were clear standouts in my book. Yeah, hard to agree. Yeah, Martian Manhunter is just like I like it too because I feel like every time I read a DC book. Um, and not every time, but often, uh, my lack of history with a lot of the characters feels like an impediment for me enjoying every aspect of the story. And I feel like since Martian Manhunter like has like a way less, there's no like definitive take on him, you know. And like it's kind of cool getting this like fresh book where I feel like it's like yeah, no, like I'm learning all this stuff about him right right along with everybody else. Yeah, uh, hats off to Steve Orlando. I think he's done a phenomenal job here. He's killing it so far. Yeah. Marco chose I Am a Hero, Omnibus, number nine. So this is a horror manga that I've uh, plugged in the past. Really, really cool, um, essentially post-apocalyptic zombie breakout. And it takes a lot of trips from more Asian influence, like zombies. Like a lot of those are, they're like, they, they're mobile. They're like, they can attack, all that kind of stuff. So it's a really cool series. Um led by a manga artist he is the titular hero and this is i think the second to last volume uh, of this like of the whole story so wait the super manga excited. artist is the main character yeah, yeah yeah it's like oh that's cool yeah yeah so like it's uh or he is a manga artist the main character is a manga artist it's not necessarily the guy but it's like supposed to kind of be like that connection yeah yeah yeah, yeah I get what you're saying. um that's cool yeah, I'm excited for this because I love uh, when arcs for Japanese manga come to an end because there's always this big reveal. Um, and then I chose Buffy the Vampire Slayer number two. I really, 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 really love the first one. It was a phenomenal issue. And I can't wait to see where they take it going forward. Um, it feels like the door is wide open for basically everything. And it's going to be a lot of fun to see how they reintroduce 
all the familiar faces and, you know, what kind of spin they, they take on these characters. And I think anybody who feels like they m- might have missed the boat on Buffy and that it had gone on too long for them to catch up, now is a great time uh, to pick it up. Even if you just like Dan Morris' art, his art is phenomenal. Um, there's so many reasons to buy this, and, and I can't think of any not to. So I strongly recommend purchasing this book. Um, noticeably absent from everybody's poll. Oh, yeah. Is Heroes in Crisis. Yo, so real quick, I am so glad this is coming out next week. Because like I said, I was uh, hitting up some of my local shops with a friend of mine who um, moved back to uh, to town. And um, she, when we were at a shop together, she pulled it off the wall. She's like, have you been reading this? And I was like, ugh. And she's like, what? I really like it. I was like, how? How? And we talked about it for like an hour and a half. <laughs> Interesting. What was her reasoning for enjoying it? She said that she liked how it was focused on, um, like the the character dynamics. I, you know, you know what you 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 could have stopped at. She liked how it was focused, and I would have. I already <laughs> disagreed with her. <laughs> I was like, "What are you talking about?" And it's funny because, like, you know, generally speaking, like I like she and I have very similar tastes. So for her to be like, yeah, no, like this is really working for me and for me to hate it this much is like so unprecedented. And I was like, look, if you like this schlock, go read one of Tom King's good books that I've been pushing down your throat for like three years. Sean, I'm surprised it's notably absent from your poll list. Well, I disliked the last issue so much that I am I'm one foot out the door with this book. I mean, man. Uh oh. Yeah, I have I have liked every issue less than the one before it, except for four, which was, like, a slight uptick. But, like, that issue also did not work for me, like, at all. So it's like, no, I am I am so emotionally out of this series. What What is what is the collective opinion of this book? I haven't really been following online. Uh, do you know what people are thinking? I, I've been hearing it's, like, not the greatest thing, at least when I've got to, like, my LCS. Like, everyone's like, oh, yeah, this, this is coming out. I don't know, not not a lot of fanfare. I've seen a lot of heavy criticism of the book for a variety of different reasons. It seems like, from what I've read anyway, the general consensus is around where we're at. But well, there you we, have it. Yeah, we will still be reviewing it. Uh, issue 5 <laughs> does <laughs> come out next God week. God damn it. So, six. Issue, issue 6. Issue 6, sorry. Issue 6. 6 and 9. Six Thank and nine. God. Uh, six. <laughs> not making six me read any more than right? that shit. Yep. If it's not, if it's not good, can we drop it? No, we <laughs> no. gave it a try. Two thirds. We got no. dude. No way. Yeah, we got to finish. I didn't like. If if we were gonna drop it, we should have dropped it like four issues ago. I'm hey. in it now. We're fucking finishing this shit together. It's like watching like Human Centipede or something like that. It's like we started this fucking journey together. We're finishing it. The other uh, thing I don't is, like the, I don't like that analogy, but I mean, yeah. Well, I don't like what a, we're doing. That's but. a that's a discredit to the human centipede because it's tasteful for what it is. <laughs> that's a whole different conversation that I'm not comfortable broaching right now. The other point, I'll argue. <laughs> the other point is that this is Tom King, and there's always a chance that. This could turn around. You know, he is a great creator. On top of that, issue six actually brings Mitch Jarrett's back 
on art. So this is oh, one of the fine. All right, this, got me for that. To what? He hasn't been on. Yeah, I thought he had. Wasn't he on no. one of the flashback issues? That was, uh, I think that was Lee Weeks. Okay, cool. So it brings oh. Mitch into the fold on the second flashback issue. So that does help. Was he? I don't on, have to um, see any more. Wait, it's a flashback. Pops. It's a yeah. It's like a. It's a. It's one of the issues that they added to the series to flesh it out, and it's going to be a flashback. Uh. Number yeah, number three was the one I I liked. That was the other flashback. So, all right, fucking fine. Cool. We got kill. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> I think this issue, fucking anyway. fine is about as excited as Kill gets about anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. So, as we teased earlier, Netflix has officially canceled. The Punisher and Jessica Jones, making those the last of the Marvel series on Netflix to be canceled, officially ending the relationship between the two brands. Jessica Jones season three is still coming out, though. Yes, it is. Jessica's, Jessica Jones season three is coming out. That's the only one of all this series that they actually canceled ahead of its release. So I guess they just wanted to sever ties and have a clean break. I wonder, do you think people are going to show out for that? Like, to end on Jessica Jones, do you think the that'll affect viewership at all? No. I don't know. I feel like it could go either way. Because, like, I feel like there might be more people who watch it because it's the end. And, like, Jessica Jones season one was super popular. And two, I feel like not a lot of people watch, so they probably don't know how bad it was. <laughs> Right, which is why, like, if if people didn't watch it, why are they going to come out for this one? Even though it is the last one, I would I I would be willing to bet that it uh, it stays pretty even. I w- yeah. I would be I would be willing to bet the fans of Jessica Jones will stick around for it, but mm. Sean, I'll, I'll probably watch it. When's it due for release? Jessica Jones season three. Boy, I do not know. Um, All right. I'm not sure that it actually has an official release date or anything like that. I don't think it does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did they wrap? Did like they wrap filming? Footage. They did wrap. Yeah. They wrapped okay. a while. I ago. think they're in post pro. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure that um that it does have a release date, but um they did release. Netflix did release a statement, and I just want to read that. Marvel's The Punisher will not return for a third season on Netflix. Showrunner Steve Lightfoot, the terrific crew, and exceptional cast, including star John Bernthal, delivered an acclaimed and compelling series for fans, and we are proud to showcase their work on Netflix for years to come. In addition, in reviewing our Marvel programming, we have decided that the upcoming third season will also be the final season for Marvel's Jessica Jones. We are grateful to showrunner Melissa Rosenberg, star Kristen Ritter, and the entire cast and crew for three incredible seasons of this groundbreaking series, which was recognized by the Peabody Awards, among others. We are grateful to Marvel for five years of our fruitful partnership and thank the passionate fans who have followed these series from the beginning. Now, that's nice and everything, but... (laughs) The people but. who worked on Punisher, the stars and the cast and crew and everything, they found out about the cancellation of the show through this announcement. Yikes. Oh, feels bad, man. Not cool. Not cool. Um, Although, I feel like they had to know they were on borrowed time. Yeah, they probably did, but I, I would imagine, you know, 
you, you, you get a you get a warning, you know? Yeah, you don't wake up to your Twitter feed just being like, your show's canceled. I don't know. I think you do. 2019? I think that's how it goes now. <laughs> that's, that's just how it is now. Yeah, getting 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 it out on Twitter's quicker than blasting out an email to the cast and crew. So could you could you imagine if that was how like regular workplace firings went? Like you just woke up and like someone tweeted at you and they're like, Oh, like, yeah, there's a new uh head at your radio station, Phil. You know, it's like they just <laughs> they just hired somebody else, you know? You're like, well, what? You should, Do I still have a job? Should, no. Yeah. That's funny you should mention that. Marco, check your email. <laughs> check your Twitter. <laughs> check your Twitter in in the WWE, they announce like individual firings on their website, and <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine like you know what if that was how it, it worked in the workplace, like you said, like <laughs> just you go on your whatever business you work for, you go on their website, and that's how you track who's not working there anymore. Hey Phil, what are you doing at the office? What do you mean? Oh, you didn't check the website? I don't go on there very often. <laughs> well, probably shouldn't be here. <laughs> Clean out your desk. <laughs> uh, Security's on the way to rough you up. <laughs> well, that uh, thank you. I would hope so. So a lot of people are upset about these cancellations. Included among them is the rap god himself, Eminem. Eminem, who doesn't tweet often, took to Twitter to actually attack uh, Netflix for the cancellation of Punisher. And he said the following. <gasps> what? Dear at Netflix, regarding your cancellation of the Punisher, you are blowing it. Sincerely, Marshall. And that was in all caps, by the way. That's he, hilarious. He, <laughs> he, he, he clearly lost himself. Oh, God. Vomit on his sweater already. <laughs> Mom's oh spaghetti. God. There it is. Mom's spaghetti. <laughs> For those who I just love the ahead. idea of like the fact that he doesn't tweet very often and he's just like, yo, you fucked up, you canceled my favorite show. Well, for those who are He's not only got one know, shot, Pete. <laughs> Eminem actually appeared in a comic book with the Punisher. They had a Wait, really? Yeah, there's a there's a, a team up comic, Eminem and the Punisher. <laughs> what? Doesn't he use a chainsaw at some point? I mean I didn't read it, uh, so I'm not sure. But um I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I saw on uh, comic book pages without context. I think they shared that recently, where it's literally just Eminem like with a chainsaw threatening somebody. <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> yeah, that's his MO. Well one of the one of the pages <laughs> actually includes Eminem shooting the Punisher. As he recites the lyrics to one of his songs. To Mom's Spaghetti. <laughs> yeah, that, Mom's that's, Spaghetti, boom. That sounds right. Yeah. I think that's like a term of endearment for the Punisher is to shoot him. <laughs> if, like, if you don't shoot him, then he's not, like, it's not he real. knows you're not that into him. Yeah, He doesn't respect you. So, Jeff Loeb, who is the, the boss of Marvel Television, released a statement for the fans, you know, an open letter to the fans or whatever regarding the cancellation and the end of the partnership. So I'm going to read, read that. 
It had never been done before. Four separate television series, each with different super talented showrunners, writers, directors, cast and crew coming out months apart. And then they would meet in a single event series, all set in the heart of New York City. We called them the Defenders. And together we were thrilled by stories of Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and even the Punisher joined in. They said it couldn't be done. But Marvel assembled amazing teams to write, produce, direct, edit, and score 13 seasons and 161 hour, one hour episodes. Take a moment and go online and look at the dazzling list of actors, writers, directors, and musicians who graced us with the very best of their craft. We loved each and every minute of it. We did it for all you, the fans who cheered for us around the world and made it all the hard work worth it. So thank you. On behalf of everyone at Marvel Television, we couldn't be more proud or more grateful to our audience. Our network partner may have decided they no longer want to continue telling the tales of these great characters, but you know Marvel better than that. As Matthew Murdoch's dad once said, the measure of a man is not how he gets knocked to the mat, it's how he gets back up. To be continued. Shut up, Jeff Loeb. So, Don't tell Jeff Loeb to shut up. Yeah, that was aggressive. <laughs> Jeff, Loeb, Jeff Loeb could shut up. Whoa, wait, why, why can Jeff Loeb shut my up? Dude is, my dude is talking about reviving Daredevil, all right? Relax. He, yeah, he could shut up. What? You can shut up. I, I've got a podcast. I don't have to shut up. <laughs> He's got a million dollars. He doesn't have to shut up. No, he won't shut up because he has a million dollars. I don't know if there's any any difference. Can we talk about what he said more than the fact that he said anything? Um, (laughs) So I I just want to point out, he did throw a little bit of shade at at Netflix, which I thought was funny. Mm. Uh, He said our network partner, you know, may have decided they no longer want to continue. And also uh, the the N in network was capitalized. So I felt like that was a little cheeky acknowledgement of what they were talking about. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Um, he also it's repeated like, it's himself. Kind of funny a lot. that he's throwing shade when it was Marvel. That kind of like they're kind of the reason that this like went belly up. You know? No, no, not really. Uh, it doesn't seem I mean, that way. It, it wasn't. It was Netflix. Netflix said we want less episodes, and Marvel said no because that would have required them to renegotiate. And obviously, Marvel had every intention of pulling their characters back if the partnership wasn't valuable and they would have been losing money if Netflix produced less episodes. So Netflix said, all right, if you don't want that, then we don't want your shows and they canceled them all. I just, I guess I'm sympathetic to Netflix in that case because I also wanted the seasons to be shorter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's, there's definitely value to them being shorter, but I think Netflix's reasoning for wanting that wasn't quality because so Netflix is essentially producing 13 episodes a season for what is now their competitor because Disney plus is coming out. And so Netflix's perspective was, well, we don't want to give people 13 episodes and all these millions of dollars for something that's going to make them want more. And the only place they can get more than these characters is Disney plus. Well, I also think, like, they did mention how, like, every critical reaction to pretty much every season of the Netflix shows was, it's a little long, and it kind of, like, loses steam in the middle and then picks up again at the end. It's like, 
I understand their motivation there for sure too. Like it's saving money, and also I feel like the audience retention would be better if they were like ten episodes or yeah, eight episodes yeah. instead of thirteen. I can't think of a Netflix show that I haven't felt that way about, or that I haven't seen that criticism lobbed at. For any of the ones that are this format, I would agree with you. Where they're like the hour long, like affairs, because I think like I wouldn't say that about like the animated stuff. Like I think like. Like BoJack, some of those kinds of shows, like they they feel like they're pretty appropriate. And like I remember when we watched the first season of Castlevania, that's like I could have done with one or two more episodes, you know. And then they gave us way more, and it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm talking about though, yeah. the 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 but like oranges the and dramas, the yeah, all yeah. those shows. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Like every one of them feels like there's at least one or two episodes where it's like filler, you know? Yeah. Uh, so rest in peace, the relationship between Marvel and Netflix. He does tease the possibility of these characters or this world returning. I don't believe that. So I, uh, added to the, to our show notes. Uh, I, I don't know if you had planned on including this at all, but according to, we got this covered.com, um, Hulu or FX is likely to pick them up, uh, which we had sort of talked about before. Um, but we got this cover.com, uh, says, uh, quote, a source has told us that either Hulu or FX will revive the canceled shows. Marvel television is said to be currently talking to both companies about taking over that corner of the Marvel universe. What's more, our source tells us that it's a sure thing that one of them, and it could only be one, uh, the franchise would not be split across different networks, will pick the shows up, but they can't confirm which it'll be right now. So, um, we got this covered.com is an awful website. I'm just going to put that out there. Is it? Oh, oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I just saw, yeah. I just saw, I saw, I saw the topic. I've never heard of them before. That's, today. that's why I didn't include it or bring it up, because they're trash. Uh, um, but, uh, we... Last week, there was a news item that came up where the boss of Hulu said that there was interest potentially on his part. That's fine. Who wouldn't say that? The The problem is the legality of whether they can actually do it or not. And from what I've read, and, you know, who knows? I don't have a contract in front of me. From what I've read, it's standard practice in television that when you have this kind of thing, you know, a, a series that could be produced elsewhere or moved elsewhere, there's a two-year clause where they can't do that. Yeah, that's what, so, that's what that article says as well, right under the quote I read. Yeah, but the thing is, though, that I think you're right about that, Sean, but there are definitely examples of that precedent being broken. And if anybody's going to be able to swing that, it's a company like Disney. But Netflix has no reason to want that. Uh, Disney Plus is their competitor. Who's their competitor? I just can't imagine sure. them being willing to uh, part with the rights. Yeah, I, I just wonder if maybe Disney bought them out of it in some way. You know, like if they're really interested in moving these somewhere else. Like, you know, like um, just immediately some things that sprung to mind for me were like the example of like um, Doug Remember the cartoon Doug? Like Disney bought that from Nickelodeon, and within like another year, there was their, you know, sequel series basically. Um, and similarly with like uh, Community, 
which was, I think, originally an NBC property, and then got picked up by Yahoo for its last season because it got canceled. Like, it's it, it's not unheard of for something like this to happen. But I definitely think you're right that like Netflix wouldn't be eager to make that jump unless there's like some incentive for them financially. I also suspect that the relationship breakdown was a little bit bitter. And that's probably different than a lot of other examples. So it's also it's also possible though that Marvel because like we don't know the details of the contract. It's possible that Marvel had some kind of failsafe in the original contract, and Netflix was hungry enough for the content at that point that they were like, "Yeah, like we'll agree to this deal." I guess that's it's that's fine speculation, but when you consider the fact that at that time Disney was not in the business of streaming service, I don't think that they would have needed a provision like that. We're in a different time now with Disney. Um, and I think that that's a direct... I think that this this breakdown is a direct result of that. But who knows? Like you said, we don't know. So it's all up in the air. It could be anything. And we'll pro- if, if there's anything to hear, I think we'll hear it this year, 2019. Mm. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. But uh, I'm hopeful. I'm definitely hopeful that there is a future for at least the top of these shows. You know, like, I don't necessarily need another season of, like, Luke Cage and Iron Fist. I never even watched season two, but I would love for them to keep Daredevil going. And if we want to bring back, like, a Heroes for Hire show or something like that, like, that'd be cool. Yeah. And if Jessica Jones season three is good, give me four. (laughs) So, Captain Marvel is on its way to theaters. Uh... March 8th, actually. But ahead of its release, it's being review bombed on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, So much so that it is the lowest. It it currently holds the lowest score on Rotten Tomatoes at 52%. This is something that's, you know, sort of become commonplace with any kind of film that people decide is social justice oriented. Uh, I guess being a woman now is social justice or making films that star <laughs> women is, is social justice. Uh, the same thing happened with The Last Jedi. We know that. Um, and that's kind of, I think, where this whole thing started. This is pretty unfortunate because we understand that a lot of times Rotten Tomato scores dictate what films people go see. That's a new phenomenon. So fans having this much, and I use the word fan very loosely, having this much control over films is pretty screwed up. Well, it's only this is only for people who are like excited to go watch the movie. I think knowing the way that the Marvel machine has been pumping out movies and working, I think people are going out more to just complete the experience than they would like the MCU film is like a household name in which, oh yeah, the next one's coming out. I have to go watch it. I don't think that this impacts that necessarily. And I think if anything, the reviews coming afterwards are going to overshadow the smaller community of these like incel fucks. Yeah. And like, I I honestly don't think that this has as much impact as they think that it does. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, like it's review shit on Rotten Tomatoes. It's like, okay, but like, you you brought up the controversy around the last Jedi. The last Jedi was still an extremely successful movie at the box office, you know. So like, and like they did this with Black Panther, and Black Panther is nominated for Best Picture, 
So, and Sid, ticket sales on Captain Marvel have already skyrocketed, haven't they? They have. This is uh, this movie has done better in pre-ticket than Aquaman, Wonder Woman, several others. So, I think they're just assholes who like aren't. Spoken like true shills. Bigot Bradley's back on the podcast. <laughs> Phil's Look out of here, Bigot Bradley. You guys are all shills for the Marvel brand. If there's one thing that's true about Marvel, it's SJW riddled bullshit. <laughs> You're such a cuck, Bradley. <laughs> you <twat>. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Please step on me. <laughs> How do you feel about the, the updated costume? I don't like it. Her old costume was best. <laughs> so you, no. you, you guys that are listening would have heard whatever it is that Phil said. Phil froze for us, so we just saw, we just heard little squeak squeaks and saw his frozen <laughs> face, which was way better than whatever it is that he could have possibly said. I'm gonna move along though. Um, I didn't say anything. First of all, I don't know why you're making it sound like I said stuff. Right, this, right. This, yeah, this Phil, is, you really need to you need to learn how to control the mic better. You just let every Tom, Dick, and Bradley take the mic from you yeah. when they walk into the room. You gotta and move, and it's really man. you know it's like learn how to fight, dude. Like, what's your problem? I, 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 you would never I make it to the WWE. You got no mic control. <laughs> I don't know how to get in my house. I, I want to read a few genuine reactions to Captain Marvel. It did screen um, the other day, and some people on Twitter, some of the people who you know get to go to these types of things, had some things to say about the film. So uh, from. At Eric Davis on Twitter, he says, Captain Marvel has a great 90s sci-fi vibe with a tone unlike any other Marvel movie, really. It's retro and trippy, mysterious and dorky. It's funny in surprising places and badass in all the right places. It remains entertaining because it's always changing. It's got the right stuff. From Pete Sharetta at Slash Film, Captain Marvel is a great origin story. Bree's buddy cop chemistry with Samuel Jackson is so much fun, and her relationship with Lashana Lynch is a, the real heart of it. Ben Mendelsohn and the cat both steal the show. Um, and Wait, Sorry, before you go on, did you guys see, I think it was last night, maybe the night before, they had a, a, uh, a live stream on YouTube of the cat from the movie Goose. just hanging out in front of a, a green screen and just doing stuff. <laughs> Hell and it yeah. Was, it was viewed by over 170,000 people. I believe it. For an hour and a half. I didn't know that there was a cat in this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, Captain Marvel is frequently seen with a cat. In fact, in the Captain Marvel book club, which will be out at the end of this week, uh, we, we read um, Kelly Sudakonik's second run with the character. Um, the cat is very prominent, but it's actually not called Goose. It's called Chewbacca, I believe, or Chewy. That's right. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, Chewy. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So all I'm saying is 90s-esque buddy cop movie between Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson, and there's a cat that steals the show. Tell me this movie doesn't sound great. Yep. That's an elevator pitch for a film I'd like to watch. Yeah, um, I'm actually kind of worried about the movie. Why is that? Um, it 
I feel like it's going to be, and I, I don't want this to be the case. I'm actually rooting for this movie hard, and I want it to be good, really bad. I feel like it's going to be generic. That's my fear right mm. now. That I, I get, Yeah, I feel like there was a lot of hype around Doctor Strange um, in a, you know, not the same way, but a fairly similar one. And that's how I felt about Doc, Doctor Strange, mm. is that mm. it was very generic, and we'd already seen all this before. Yeah, so all of the Phase 3 movies, um, none of them are quite origin stories because even Spider-Man and Black Panther had already appeared elsewhere, so we had some familiarity with them. They weren't just telling the exact origin of how they got their powers, etc., etc. Captain Marvel isn't quite that, but it feels as level one as possible otherwise. And... yeah. It feels like it's weird that this is coming out when it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I get the point and it's cool what they're doing in the sense of like it's cool that, you know, they're telling her story just before she finally appears in Infinity War or uh, Endgame and all that kind of stuff. But I'm just worried about I never I never love origin movies. I typically don't care for them that much. So that's just my opinion. We'll see, I guess. Well, I think like the the biggest thing that MCU sort of does well is introduce characters in unconventional ways. Like when they brought in, uh, to your point, Peter had already appeared in, in Civil War, but when they brought that movie in, if let's say you hadn't seen Civil War, sure, you might be missing a bit of context, but the introduction to the character was more so like who they who they are versus what they do. And I think that M- the MCU all the MCU films can kind of do that well, at least post uh, like some of the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff and, and the, the past the stuff that sort of has the, the first wave of Avengers stuff. It, it gets into a better storytelling rhythm that I think they can, they, you tend to knock it out of the park. Yeah, because I mean, I would agree with that, Marco, because for me, I thought that Doctor Strange was like a great origin. I really liked the way that they handled it. Um, well, with exception to Doctor Strange, I thought it was alright. Well, I, I I liked what that did for the formula of this being the introduction to the character, because like I liked that because I feel like a lot of the MCU movies they end with the person becoming that character, you know, right, where it's right. like, and now I'm Iron Man, you know, like I feel like Doctor Strange kind of got through that bit pretty early, and then like actually let him do a thing. I I don't agree with that. I think maybe because it's going to be a movie where we're already introduced to her having these powers and like we're getting thrown into the world already and this is maybe going to be something similar to like Cowboy where we're just kind of tagging along for a ride. Mm. So and it I, might it, and it might tell her origin along the way. Right, right. Right. Yeah. Well, I I yeah, I think you guys are making good points. The only thing that I would throw in is that uh even though she is coming into this film from from what I know with her powers, there definitely seems to be an amnesia angle of her not really mm. knowing, you know, how she got to be who she is necessarily, not knowing her parentage, not knowing, you know, her connection, whatever, to Earth. So that's something to still be uncovered. And I'm wondering how much of that part is going to hold the film 
back. Uh, but again, I have a very specific point of view. I don't like the first Captain America movie. Lots of people rate that very highly. I don't like the fact that it takes place in the past and has to deal with, oh, I'm a skinny kid. Now I'm not. And all that kind of crap. I feel like I might feel the same way about this film. But I actually did really love Doctor Strange. So who knows? Um, we shall see. Either go, Yeah, exactly. We shall see. Either way, though, the tweets and the reactions uh, to this movie, those that have seen it so far, have been really good. They've been really, really good. So maybe there isn't anything to worry about. We don't have long to wait. Just, what, two weeks? So we will be here with a review for you guys. Get it kind of reminds me of what happened with Thor Ragnarok, where I remember like we were going into it a little bit like, mm, you Yo, know, Ragnarok like, was dope. It was. That one right, was so like, um, that one was Get out of here. Get out of here, Phil. Unpopular opinions, Phil Casey over there. Hey, I'm just telling it like it is. Although I have amnesia. I don't enjoy movies that are funny. Meh. That's what I sound like. He got me, dude. Yes. <laughs> so, staying within the realm of Marvel films, Kevin Feige actually had some biting things to say, I thought, anyways, and that's why it's here. Some real disrespect. About James Gunn. I was very surprised. So, you know, he's doing the press tour for Captain Marvel and, you know, being asked a million different questions, I'm sure. Cinema Blend asked him about James Gunn's influence over the Marvel Cosmic stories. You guys will recall that um, James Gunn essentially said that he was talking to Kevin Feige every day about Marvel Cosmic and was spearheading it. Um, Well, Kevin Feige disagrees with that. He says his influence was Guardians. It was Guardians. It was his input on Guardians and the Avengers films, as you've seen in Infinity War, and on the Guardians 3 script, which we're still using. So you'll see that influence. I think online, sort of the notion of architect across multiple cosmic things was slightly blown out of proportion. Which is directly against what James Gunn had said. Uh, so do you think this is a case of James Gunn hyping himself up? Kevin Feige trying to downplay his influence after the fact? Or miscommunication? Yo, they're slinging shit. Like, why are they slinging shit? What's up? I I feel like it's more on the side of what uh, of what you just kind of laid out, Sean. Um, with it being, uh, with it being like more about Kevin trying to downplay his involvement after the fact because, like, he said that a long time ago, and and Kevin didn't like try to get in front of that. You know, so I'm sure that was their plan for a while. And maybe he didn't like actually architect a bunch of stuff. And that's kind of what he's getting at of like, oh, I think his involvement is overblown because we never really got to that point. But I I, I don't think that James Gunn would be allowed by his boss to come out and take credit for something that he wasn't involved in at the level that he was saying he was involved in. Without, like, Kevin putting out some kind of statement that was, like, similar to what we saw with, like, the Sony Venom thing, where, like, he did damage control without outright being like, they're fucking lying. He was like, well, 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 you know, and I think we would have gotten some sort of statement like that before now. And I also think, I also think there might be a little bit of, um, 
um, downplaying his ability, maybe as well as well as like taking a shot, uh, because he went to he went immediately to go work for the other team on a guardians esque property. Yeah. So I, the reason why I'm going to disagree with you, Pete, is because uh, there's no precedent for Kevin Feige outright disagreeing with someone who is a direct in-house collaborator. Whereas the Sony disagreement was actually potentially very damaging for Marvel. Because if you say Venom is not a Marvel film, right? So if you say, oh yeah, um, Venom is in the MCU and there's a chance of crossover, that could be damaging when Spider-Man isn't staying in the MCU necessarily and Marvel doesn't make fine doesn't make dollars off of Sony's films. So that to me is a different thing than this and also consider the fact that now James Gunn is working with the distinguished competition. So I don't think he says this ever if James Gunn is still there. Whether it's true or not what James said. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I I think I don't know. I guess to me, I feel like the what you guys just outlined is why we're getting this statement now, though. It's because James Gunn is working with the Distinguished Competition, and I think that much is true, right? Um, I guess the reason I po- posited it that way is because I don't believe that James Gunn was, like, lying. You know, I think it's now, like, the relationship is severed, and Kevin Feige is trying to downplay his importance so that we as viewers don't have concerns about what does Guardians 3 look like without yeah. James Gunn? Oh, well, we're still using his script, so you'll still see that influence. And what are, what are they doing with Marvel Cosmic? Well, he was never that involved. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a mis-, mis... He didn't even say, oh, Kevin or um, James Gunn lied about it. He was like, I think there's a, a, a misconception online that it's been it's been perceived wrong. I think it's him just trying to, like, reassure us that James Gunn wasn't instrumental in sailing the ship. Yep. And that it's everything's business as usual i think that makes sense it's like they're not necessarily trying to distance james gunn enough so that people won't come to it but at the same time they want to let people know that hey this is something that we still are maintaining it's going to have that synergy it's just going to be minus this one person and like that's it i i I wonder if that that whole event like changed what this next phase is going to be, you know, because there, w- there was a lot of speculation that it was going to be more cosmic. I think, I, and, I think it definitely uh, affected it just because that is what James Gunn had been mentioning in the past that they were thinking of taking it like direction wise and what they hinted at. Yeah. So, so I wonder now, you know, what we're going to see, you know, is it going to be now, is it going to be more earth shit? Or are they going to pivot and do like half cosmic and maybe since they, they're getting the, the Fox merger, are they going to, you know, bring in the Silver Surfer? That's an interesting point. Um, I think that I think that whatever the cosmic plans were or are, I believe that they've been in place for a while because – if you take Spider-Man Far From Home out of the picture, because the only reason that movie's coming out is because of Sony, Guardians was supposed to be the, f- the very first movie 
after Avengers Endgame. And that's... And it was supposed to be, like, years well, later. It, yeah, in, in, in real... Like, in, in, in that timeline. But in real life, it was supposed to be one year later that it would come out and it would set the stage. And obviously, that's not happening now. But because that was the plan, that leads me to believe that that was going to be the jumping off point for the rest of the MCU to pick up from. With that not being the case, it makes me feel like everything is in disarray. And then on top of what you just said, Kale, well, if you have Galactus now, why would any other villain or premise (laughs) be what you would go with when you can just use him and Doom and Silver Surfer, right? So I think there's a lot of merit to that. Yeah, I was going to say the only other character you'd go with would be Dr. Doom. So (laughs) they got their two best villains back. Phil, uh, let me let me throw something your way. If, if have to? <laughs> yes, I do. I need his oh, voice yeah, can on the you podcast. It suits me. Yes. Oh. So if the A lister, do you think now that Marvel, well, you know, assuming that that the that the the deal goes through and they will have those characters, do you think Marvel should go in the direction of using Galactus or Doom as the MCU big bad or do you think they're more likely to reserve those characters for the Fantastic Four and use someone like Annihilus or somebody like that for the MCU big bad um I feel like that was a Phil shot I want Phil's oh I'm sorry I forgot I forgot wow oh god ow my toes they hurt from being stepped on I was trying to protect the listeners Sean I'm sorry I'm just you know it's the default (laughs) um Boy, I, I wish I had a major company's president slinging shit at me to the media because it would mean I did something cool. Anyway, um, I have to imagine that uh, the MCU would use Galactus and Doctor Doom as their larger Avenger-esque antagonists because, as Pete pointed out, these guys are their A-listers that they haven't been able to utilize, particularly Doctor Doom. But with Galactus, that's <laughs> to like probably a more... Uh, you know, regular viewer. That's like Thanos. That's like six Thanos st- stacked on top of each other. It, and it, and they play it right. It very well could be. Yeah. So just get six Thanos, put them on top of each other, and you get one Galactus. Um, I, I I think you're more inclined to see an Annihilist in a Fantastic Four movie. For as much as I would love to see Annihilation adapted into a damn movie, I think they're more inclined to do their own thing and utilize someone like. They might with someone like Doctor Doom. It might be a, like a Loki situation where he appears in the first Fantastic Four movie, just like he did in the first Thor movie and the second Thor movie and the third Thor movie, and become like the major central antagonist of a Avengers movie after that. I like the sound of that a lot, actually. Huh. Do you think? Do you think, or do you think it'd be like Loki? And by the third movie, they're you know pretty. They're working together pretty well, and they're actually pretty chummy. They might do that. Sure, <laughs> they honestly might. I mean. That's not unheard of, and I feel like that could work really well if you establish Doctor Doom in, like, Fantastic Four, and then you, like, and maybe he's in Fantastic Four 2 or whatever, um, but eventually have him kind of graduate to being a, a Avengers villain, and then have him have his moment of, like, slight redemption before they make him a villain again when Galactus shows up. Here's a thought for you guys. <laughs> That's, I don't think it will happen, but... So, uh, James Gunn went to Warner Brothers to make a second 
uh, Suicide Squad movie. What if Ben Affleck went to Disney and became <laughs> Doctor Doom? <laughs> that's the that's that's a Fuck crazy timeline. Who would be Reed Richards then? <laughs> Matt Damon? Yeah, it'd be Matt Damon. Like, who do you put against Ben Affleck's Doctor Doom? Good Doom hunting. <laughs> we got a movie. All right, so let's shift over to the world of comics now. Uh, right. We, we talk about those every now and then. So Hellboy... Ooh, it's the 25th anniversary of Hellboy. And it's been around a long time. Yeah, no kidding. Dark Horse is going to be, and of, of course with Mike Mignola, are going to be celebrating that anniversary with something called Hellboy Day. So Batman's got his day, now Hellboy has his day. Um, and so, yeah, that's pretty cool. And we've got the movie coming out, of course, in April. Alongside that, we're getting a comic book called Hellboy versus Lobster Johnson. Nice. The Ring of Death. This is some kale shit. Mm. Now, I don't I don't know much about Hellboy. Obviously, we did do our our Hellboy book club which you can go check out and that was my first reading of anything Hellboy. I know even less about Lobster Johnson. So, without me saying what it is cuz I know what it is cuz I read the article, Kale, do you know what this is? Yes. Um so Okay, so to make some context, Lobster in the world of Hellboy, Lobster Johnson is like a uh, a nineteen forties uh, pulpy vigilante. He's kind of like the spirit. He'd be well. So he kind of inspired Hellboy in the same way the Gray Ghost inspired yeah. Batman in the animated series. That's a great analogy. Um, like Hellboy watched him on TV and went and saw all his movies and, you know, did all the things sort of not realizing that he was a, a real vigilante and he was really out there doing shit. Um, so a bit later on in Hellboy canon, I think, I think in Hellboy canon, it's like night, I want to say it's 19, the 1950s. He, uh, quits, uh, the Bureau and goes uh, on a bender in Mexico, and so he he basically has like a uh, like five years or something that are just a blur for him in Mexico, and you can you can see his adventures in 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 Hellboy in Mexico, um, and they are very good. Um, awesome. So so one of these um, Lobster Johnson sort of incarnations was a Mexican luchador. Yeah. That's cool. Who, um, yeah. In in the similar vein of um oh there's a real famous one, the the blue the blue, blue devil. Blue demon. The okay. Um in in that vein, he was very famous and he, you know, uh acted in movies and, and you know fought the paranormal and, and, and all that stuff. So this is this is gonna take place with that version of Lobster Johnson, is it really? Oh, that's rad. Yeah, I, I mean that's yeah. that's how it's being advertised. Okay. Did you see the cover, Phil? I did not. 
Yeah, check it out. It's really funny. Yeah. Like Lobster Johnson in the luchador outfit is just <laughs> so great. He's just got like this blue cape and a hat and the mask Whoa. and then like just has a lobster claw painted on his chest. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> oh my god, the cover's so pulpy looking. Yeah. 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 It's very It good. like it looks like straight up like right from that era, you know? Yeah. yeah. Very cool. God, Hellboy is awesome. So this this is actually dropped. Thank you, Kale. By the way, uh, this is yeah, dropping May 29th. and I think that this will be something that I pick up. Hell yeah, Sean! It, it'll yeah, probably I'm interested be in pretty this one good. Too. <laughs> let's, well, fuck, let's just read it on the show. Yeah, All right. yeah, I do that. Yeah. yeah, all right. Awesome. Very cool. Booking the show. That live. gives me enough time to read every other Hellboy book before that. <laughs> you don't. You don't. You're not gonna have to. I want to, though, my dude. That's what oh, I that's like fair. about this, is that I can just... I, I feel like... I don't know that this is absolutely true, but I feel like I can just buy this and enjoy it, and, and that'd be that. So Anthologies are dope. I feel... Yeah. I, similar to, to the nature of the first Hellboy volume, how it's an anthology, Hellboy in Mexico kind of picks up in the middle of his life, and it's framed around... Well, Hellboy's on a bender and he doesn't remember much. <laughs> Here's what he does remember. Awesome. And and it's just it's you know, you just kinda pick up from there. Hell yeah. Um and it's it's just, you know, various stories from there. We'll definitely be um, reading more Hellboy in this show. <laughs> on the book club and whatnot. Not if I can help it. <laughs> let's go. Marco, let's go. Marco, let's go. Check let's, your, go. let's go, Phil. Marco, let's go. check your damn Twitter. Check your damn Twitter. Check your mom's Twitter, dude. Check Doesn't it. have one. Check it right well, there now. There you go. Check your Twitter um, right now. While Marco's while Marco's doing that, had, did you guys see that um, at whatever there was a, a toy convention recently, um, and they're releasing luchador versions of um, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. Yes. Yeah, like some of the DC characters, like that core DC canon of characters. Yeah, Batman yeah, looks yeah, like yeah. the Blue Demon. He's just all it's beefed so out. Good. Yes. So good. That's rad. Think I give a shit, Kale? By the way, for, right. for for those of you that don't know, Mark got his pink slip via Twitter. He's been fired. Fired dog. See ya. Deuces. You have to work the rest of the day, though. Uh, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bye. I'm, I'm I'm gonna take control of the show again because I don't know what the hell's going on. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So yeah. By the way bits that you guys are working on outside of the show they don't necessarily work on on uh on the show you know uh nope <laughs> dan didio has made a, a statement to retailers at comics pro which is a comics retailer you know meeting or whatever um that dc is cutting back on the amount of comics that they publish we don't know necessarily all the details, but Bleeding Cool has reported on this, and a few other outlets have reported on it as well. Well, we know um, why, right? It's because they they listen to our show. Like we've they're finally listening to what we've been saying. Is <laughs> DC pull back, my dudes? Well, so there's two problems with what you just said. Number one, you interrupted me. Number two, uh, we've said that about Marvel. It's the show, not necessarily DC. <laughs> It's it's the show. Well, you know what else is the show? Marco not talking. So let's get back to that shit, okay? Nah. See? 
I try I try and do a good thing for the show and fire him. And you, know, <laughs> well, you know, hey, you know when you work uh, when you work on a bit outside the show, it doesn't really work. Should have kept you fired. Yeah, that's why it doesn't work. You piece of shit. <laughs> well. The other part of the problem, Kale, since you wanted to insert yourself, is that you don't have any power, so you can't actually fire Marco, which is why Marco's still on the show. So like I said, your bit didn't work. Now, does anybody else want to come for me? Well, I do want to say one thing. DC's reducing its titles, and we're reducing our pals. (laughs) Fuck you, Phil! It's the second time you bit my joke! (laughs) All right. Back to the news. Bleeding Cool originally reported that this was going to be scaled back so much that DC's new initiative was going to be called the New 22, obviously referring (laughs) to the New 52 and scaling back (laughs) to that degree. That's not necessarily the case here. Uh, Dan Didio says that they're cutting about 10 to 15% as that's what he believes that the market can actually hold. He also said that Diamond is distributing too many comics right now because the market just can't sustain as many comics are being published, which is diluting sales. And that's actually something that we've talked about on this show before. Um, he doesn't mention Marvel, doesn't say anything about Marvel, but you know you can you can assume whatever you want to assume. He also talked about. The fact that in DC right now, there's a lot of disconnection. And if you're reading DC on a weekly basis or even a monthly basis, you will know that there are just a lot of corners of the DC universe right now. Uh, Brian Bendis is doing what he's doing with Superman. Tom King is doing what he's doing with Batman. You've got Grant Morrison with Green Lantern. All these characters are so separated, and there really isn't much cross-pollination. It doesn't feel like a connected universe. And Dan Didio references that and says he wants to bring back that shared universe feeling. No. Which, you know, some people are going to like and some may not. That's how that goes. Um, he also talks about the Batman Damned number three cancellation, which is another thing we've talked about recently and says that it's his fault that it's his fault because he hadn't approved any of the artwork that was that was going to be appearing in the book and that when it came across his desk he you know had to say we can't use this and they had to take it back so there you go ah that's horseshit what a fat load of crap <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, tell us how you really feel. Dan Didio's full of garbage. He's a garbage man. Jesus. Well, can you like expound on that, my dude? I want to no. hear your actual opinion. Why? I, it doesn't I hear him. like they made a they specifically made a black label on a book on a book titled Batman Damned. Like this was supposed to be an adult label. Like I I don't. Like, like, yes, the, you know, admittedly the, the bat penis thing blew up out of proportion, but it's an adult label. Like, it wasn't pornography. Yeah, I agree So what's that. the big fucking deal? Ah, that sounds, that just sounds like a, a load of horseshit to me. Now, I, I want to continue on this track real quick, but I do want to, um, you know, put a pin in what you just said. Kale, because it's going to take us into our next topic. Now, 
at first, there was some counter-reporting saying that Bleeding Cool's article was BS. Uh, Ryan Higgins on Twitter, who is a retailer, uh, said the following. Being told the Bleeding Cool article about DC is mostly spin and speculation and some flat-out lies. Chris Arant from Newsarama tweeted out, ditto. But there were others who agreed with what Bleeding Cool says um, and, and, and basically basically piggybacks off of what they said. What do you guys think about where DC seems to be going? And I know that we've talked about this several weeks in a row. This does add some context. If they are scaling back their books, that was something that we talked about whether or not it was even what they were trying to do or whether it was just a result of Black Label's delays or what was going on. Now we know for a fact it is their publishing initiative to scale back. What do you guys think about that? I think there's mixed messaging uh, or like there was mixed messaging internally in terms of what they wanted to do and how they wanted to execute it. Because to Kale's point and just overall on Black Label, if that was supposed to be an adult, title they were able to release a book with that a book like batman damned right which okay it had a bat wang and it might have had like content that in issue three isn't necessarily appropriate but if that's the sort of initiative you're trying to push then stick to those individual initiatives and then continue the publishing arm from there but it seemed they got they had too much in market for the extra stuff and they want to kind of retain the core, but at the same time outreach, but they're not willing up to give up that core. And so a lot of the outer stuff like the black label, potentially like the vertigo stuff, um, those are sort of getting the axe. And then some of the core things that aren't necessarily the biggest sellers or are at least big enough to carry their own titles are going to be the things that stick while everything else kind of just gets brushed off. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely um, see where you're coming from. This, this feels like DC doing the right thing in a sense, with respect to the fact that the market is massive. But I don't know about the execution, like what you're saying. I don't know about the execution, and I don't know about the messages that they're sending with the. Way this seems like they're handling. I I I'm inclined to agree with that because on the one hand, if there's one thing that has been crystal clear about DC Comics since tail end of 2017 is that they seemed disorganized and things were not getting done properly. Hell, this whole thing about Batman Dan number three not getting the Dan DiDio's Descon time or whatever only reinforces the fact that it just seems you know unruly and disorganized so cutting back what 10 15 percent scaling down the books considerably uh it offers this opportunity to be more centralized and hopefully if you have that kind of centralized amount of content coming out you're going to be able to produce better content and i think certainly at the heart of what they're publishing there's a lot of good stuff out there like the aforementioned green lantern or shazam or martian manhunter uh, but the messaging is odd, to your point. 
like what are you trying to actually say to your audience right now yeah right yeah and i i think i think sean hit the nail on the head when it comes to the fact that like i think the blood has been in the water for this for a long time like we've seen this happening gradually over the last couple months and it's just the pieces are finally coming together you know and i think that like the reason we're getting this announcement or that we feel that they're that this is weird is because dc is disjointed right now they're they are like having a lot of senior management turnover and the despite the fact that they're publishing a lot of good books like they've also made some pretty major missteps in terms of like the sandman stuff we talked about which came out and has not really been popping off and just that like they enacted a lot of publishing initiatives all at the same time when there's a clear lack of leadership at the company you know like they brought in Bendis to do Superman, and he launched, like, two or three imprints, and Young Animal stopped publishing, but then they're also, you know, starting the Sandman stuff, and then uh, Black Label, and it's just, like, it's a lot. It's a lot going on at once, and I'm not surprised that it's messy and that it hasn't been handled. <clears throat> so, currently, including limited series right now, DC is putting out around 58 titles. So ten to fifteen percent of that would be that would bring it down like to fifty. Fifty. Yeah. Maybe forty five. Nah. That's a hard Which maybe. Is, yeah, that's like that's fine. That's well that's you're you're probably including books that are well, you, you said you're including limited series, but you're probably also including books that have been cancelled. Oh yeah, you're right. Uh Titans, Sideways. And Scooby Apocalypse. Scooby Doo Apocalypse got canceled as well. Hex yeah. Wives, Green Arrow. Oh shit, you're right. Okay. Oh, Hex so, Wives. Yeah. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, so fifty-one then. Fifty-one limited. Oh no, these. Oh shit, all of these limited series. I love listening to Kill. <laughs> Figure it out on the fly here. <laughs> He's like a scientist that made a major discovery. Yeah. So the the point is that DC is scaling back from where they're at, which is already a low number in comparison to Marvel. And so 40, 44 that are not ending. And then you mark that down by 10 to 15%. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that would be like another four or, so, you know. So, okay. So that might be 40, 35. It'll probably be between 35 and 40 titles when we're all said and done here. Which doesn't seem that bad. Uh, certainly, but I, I do think that you're also talking about books that are not necessarily sustainable. How long is Grant Morrison going to stay on Green Lantern? You know, um, right. And then he moves on and then somebody else picks up Green Lantern, the sales go down and then what happens? You know, um, it just, it just seems like DC is being a little more cutthroat with what they publish, which is fine. That's their right to do so. And no one, you shouldn't have to publish comics that aren't selling. I just wonder what the margin for error is. Um, I don't know. Well, I, I think what I read this as, though, that doesn't mean that this is a permanent thing, right? Like, if they do have some of these books like stop working and they cut more of them. I imagine we'll see more initiatives like we've seen from them already where they're going to like announce new stuff. Like they might be getting rid of this to make room for the next, you know, initiative, like the next young animal style thing where it's like, we're doing a bunch of new books or when they did Hanna-Barbera for the first time. And it was like, yeah, like this is where we're going. Like they could just be making room for what's coming next. But also like they have, 
three events going on right now. So, eventually, and they still have to uh, make those all come together. Presumably. You know, the way they say they were. I don't know. So, um, one thing I wanted to bring up, I thought it was really interesting how he was talking about uh, Diamond. So I'm wondering if there if there is a a, a future in which DC doesn't use Diamond. Hmm. I don't think so. I think that uh, them being critical of Diamond is probably just as much about Diamond as it is about Marvel, DC uh, or Dan Didio rather. So this is pointed out in the Bleeding Core article. I didn't say it because I wasn't sure how true this is or, or what where this is really coming from but um in the bleeding Guard cool article they say he stated that dc comics have better comic books than their rivals because they pay their power talent higher page rates than marvel i know there has been some disquiet about that as well of late looks like didio is doubling down so who are their power talent so they're paying their power talent more. They're publishing less books than than um, than Marvel is. I feel like they just think that they have the better books, and that Marvel should stop publishing so many books and flooding the market. And that's the only reason why Marvel collects so much of the market share because they just oversaturated. I think that's what he was saying to me. Yeah, and I. I think there's something to that mentality of like let's offer less books that are high quality, you know, and like we'll make up for the sales from selling more by paying top tier talent more money to put out books that people like can't ignore. You know, or like if Marvel puts out 50 books, even if you're a diehard Marvel fan, you're not picking up every single fucking one of them, you know, unless you're like a crazy person. And you know, I think, like, it's a way easier sell to be like, hey, we have seven top-tier superhero books out right now that you should be picking up. Mm. But also, I would also... I guess I would also argue that that DC has mostly old talent at this point, right? They've got their... their if you look at the stuff that's been announced, like uh, uh, Frank Miller and John Romita on Superman... I think I think Frank Miller's trying to work on two Superman books. Uh, I know he's doing Superman Year One. I don't remember him doing a second one. I mean, even looking okay, at like their main slate of books, right? Like Tom King is like the newest name on their like A tier roster, and he's been an established persona for a while now. Age age in in comics is a little weird because like Tom Taylor is a very new name. He's forty years old, you know, like. Right. Right. But his yeah, but his career has been there for a while. Whereas you have people like Matt Rosenberg and Kelly Thompson and Ed Brisson and Name three more. Fuck. Um, no, don't. <laughs> Tom Taylor and Salad Ahmed. Okay, Salad Ahmed, I'll take that. <laughs> uh, Sabella? He's not He's not uh, at Marvel. Exclusive. I don't think he's at Marvel right now. No, he's not at Marvel. Oh, and Donnie Cates. Duh, fucking Donnie Cates. Okay, cool. Sure. Yeah, young but, blood. But, yeah, young blood. Fresh, hungry, young, younger blood in terms of like their career. 
you know, whereas DC right now has people like Frank Miller and Bendis and Grant Morrison. And, 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 you know, I mean, I obviously mean no disrespect on either, on either side, but last week we talked about how, you know, the, uh, the older creators are on, on these books don't seem to be kind of actually putting stuff out. I would only, I would only make that argument in the case of black label specific stuff because, and we don't even know necessarily the reason. Like Grant Morrison has been killing it on Green Lantern. If you, I mean, if you like his style, um, by all accounts, Bendis's action comics and Superman are not only good but are selling well, and all of his stuff, all the Wonder Comics books so far are doing well. So, I, I actually, I, I, I understand your argument, but I actually think that. DC's making a great bet right now on those creators because not only are they talented, but they carry name value. I'm buying every single book except for Aquaman that carries a major name. Um, so, but you know what? Uh, to, to that point, you know, uh, DC does have uh, books, major books being written by younger talent. Aquaman is an example of that. Earlier in the show, we brought up Martian Manhunter, which is Steve Orlando, who's fairly young as well. Um, so, so while there are, and who's writing Justice League right now? That's, um, Scott Snyder. Snyder. Uh, right. It is Snyder, isn't it? I was thinking of his predecessor, who I James Tinian. Tinian. He's writing Justice right. League Dark. No, no, no. I'm talking about the person who wrote Justice League before Snyder did. It wasn't Tinian. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. But either way, there are younger names that are working on major DC books. It's just that they've brought some larger older names back in their like last year or two mm. yeah okay yeah I, I think i think that strategy is smart like they're investing more in higher quality talent and again like i don't mean higher quality i guess in terms of like not not to throw shade at younger creators that's not more my intent. more I just mean rec- that, like more recognizable yeah they're they're marquee people you know it's like it, they they carry the weight in comics that somebody like, you know, when we're like, oh, you know, like Scorsese's producing this movie, right, or something like that, where it's like, yeah, like Grant Morrison is an institution, you know, and like Grant Morrison writing a Green Lantern book makes headlines in a way that some new blood doesn't. So I think putting those people on their premier marquee titles, like your Superman, your Batman, your Green Lantern, your Wonder Woman, whatever, like that is a good move because those are the things that I think make people pay attention to those books that they might not otherwise pick up or that like they're already definitely going to buy anyway. So like you're not going to lose those sales, you know, but like if you weren't reading Grant uh, Green Lantern and you're a fan of Grant, you picked it up. Yeah, Like that happened with Sean, that happened with Phil where they're both like, I love Green Lantern, but I haven't been reading the books in a while, but I love Grant. So I'll pick it up like that that works. That's a proven strategy, you know, like, and I think they're smart to double down on that and, you know, like give the opportunities, like I, I, I know I brought him up before already and like young animals on a uh, break, but like before the young animal imprint, I feel like Gerard way was way more of a, like, Oh, he did umbrella Academy and that was a hit. Like, what's he going to do next? And then they cultivated him into 
the t- the talent that he is now by giving him an opportunity to run an imprint and to like prove his worth on s- properties that were not hitting for them and then made them into properties that were that's a great strategy you know you bank on your batman and you let the young bloods try something fresh yeah like you conserve that base uh and like of okay we know we need somebody on batman we know we need somebody on wonder woman on green lantern like the big big titles that carry people by name and then you have to bring in people who carry and follow the authors right that combination just makes it and solidifies it and then you throw like little stuff on the side that just makes it stuff that can attract people who wouldn't normally and that's a great like example. Yeah, like Flintstones or you know that and the young animal stuff is a great example of that. So, let's let's shift gears a little bit. I want to I want to actually reference something that Kale said earlier about uh Batman Damned and the what's the word I'm looking for? The the tone of that book and some of the more controversial things that happened there and DC's harsh maybe overreaction to the fan reaction to Batman Damn Number One and how that has DC changed. DC is afraid things. of Christians. D- well, <laughs> we're we're gonna talk about Second Coming now, and it's uh, very boom, segues. <laughs> it's very interesting <laughs> what Mark Russell had to say about why that book was canceled, and to me, it actually uh, informs this conversation quite a bit. So here's what he said. DC was requesting these changes regarding profanity and nudity before Fox News set the outrage machine in motion, so it's difficult to speculate what, if any, impact their campaign had on any DC decision-making, though I imagine finding 200,000 auto-generated emails in your inbox can't be too pleasant. If you pay attention to what he's saying, he's saying... That DC wanted him to change the language in the book because they they thought people might find it offensive. Now, you have to ask yourself this question. Was it because they feared backlash before anything happened due to the nature of the book? Or did they fear backlash because of what happened with Batman Damned? Could be both. You know, like, companies are reactionary. So, like, having... You know, I, th- I feel like a lot of companies and whether it's like with the terms of the kind of content that they're putting out or like unsavory business practices, a lot of them follow the strategy of, you know, like pinch them till they squeal. So it's like if there was already that negative reaction, I could see them being more gun shy. But when when did when did Batman Dam come out versus when Mark started getting that feedback? Well, he doesn't say exactly when he started getting the feedback. The Newsarama article says, uh, although not quoted directly, HuffPost reports that Russell said that DC requested the removal of some profanity and covering up male nudity in a Garden of Eden scene with additional changes and a delay to the book expected. You know, guys, I'm really tired of editors and TV channels and stuff being so afraid of just showing dicks. I just want right, to see guys. dicks. It's 2019. I think we need to grow up about showing penises. It's fine. I just want to see the hard little peckers. God. Just show me all the dicks. Tell me I can see like 18 naked women in the first season of Game of Thrones. We only see one dick the entire time. It's not even hard or little. No. 
it's it's uh it's just really this just really colors the conversation for me about DC, and I'm inclined to believe that DC was already gun shy about Second Coming, and that it was the Fox thing that took it over the moon. But I think that this book was going to have a hard time coming out in a post-Batman damned world, whether there was a petition or not. The post-Batman damned world. Wow, man, things are so much different now than it was before Batman damned. For DC, <laughs> they different. are. <laughs> before Batman hung brain. Do you, guys, do you guys remember where you were before Bat, <laughs> before Bat Dick? <laughs> I was in New Zealand. Wow. I don't remember where I was. I have amnesia. For me, it's been a, a fucking world. It was a world ago. So, I guess, you know, we always talk about DC and, and the inner workings over there. I don't think this conversation is necessarily over, but it is over for today because huh? we're going to play a game of 5x5. Five five. Oh, oh, yeah. 5x5 yes. five five so, needs a little, like, little music to it, I think. Yeah, it does. Well, you don't, we'll leave you that. You don't like the... The cheers of the only good game we have, Sean. Sean, did oh. you get did you get the name from the Five by Five podcast? Nope, Damn. I don't even know what that is. You're gonna have to uh, work a little harder to figure that out, though. But I will give you a hint. Okay, for the for your sake, the hint is that it originates, or at least my knowing of the phrase originates, and it is a phrase, and it has a meaning. By the way, Five by Five has a meaning. Uh, it originates from a property that I deeply love. Buffy. Yeah. Thundercats. Boom! Thundercats. <laughs> yeah, because you're a furry. <laughs> you know what, dude? No. I'm not a furry. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Sounds, so, sounds like something a furry would say. Is, is everybody ready to start here? I'm going to explain the game for everyone. Uh, essentially, our goal is to get through five news stories in five minutes and the way it works is it's, it's a group game, so we either fail or succeed. There is no individual failure or success. If you want to extend a conversation beyond one minute on that subject, you can ask for an extension. If you don't want to extend we and you want to pass, we can just pass. We can pass before the one-minute mark, but I will say something at one minute to let you guys know where we're at. Kel, Pete, a sub part of the game is to make sure Marco can't talk. Pass. So let's do it, guys. So that's that's our pass. <laughs> All right, we're about to get started. Here we go. DC has officially announced Deceased, pass. which will be a new event from Tom Taylor with art by Trevor Hairshine, James Heron, and Stefano Guadino. We have seen a lot of art from this already. The synopsis is a mysterious techno virus has been released on Earth, infecting 600 million people and turning them instantly into violent monstrous engines of destruction the heroes of dcu are caught completely unprepared for the pandemic of this magnitude and struggle to save their loved ones first but what happens to the world's greatest heroes if the world ends damn that shit was a minute marvel zombies is back pass (laughs) (laughs) dumb name great team let's go is this a mainline dc event or not probably not (laughs) nah i don't know marvel zombies too bitch Oh, what if that? What if this leads to Doomsday Clock? What if it's the connecting I, tissue? I hope not. That sounds dumb. <laughs> well, I mean, Heroes in Crisis seemed like a good idea until it wasn't. <laughs> until so it was dumb. One minute. The opposite. Pass. All right. Pass. 
Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen are both individually getting ongoings in June. Rad! Uh, spinning out of the Leviathan Rising arc by Brian Bendis in Action Comics. Pass! Jimmy Olsen will be written by Matt Fraction and Steve Lieber. Lois Lane will be worked on by Greg Rucka and Mike Perkins. Oh, Rad! They will both drop in May 2019 and will spin out of a one-shot called Superman Leviathan Rising Number 1, which will be worked on by those creators alongside some other top-tier creators. Thoughts? This sounds good as hell. I'm down for both that Matt Fraction and Jimmy Olsen book. Hot diggity damn. And it's about time we came out of the the suffragette era with Lois Lane. (laughs) Uh, it's super interesting because this is like a thing that was so big for so long. Both of these characters having their own One books, minute. like back in the pass, pass. All right, looks cool. Kevin Feige officially rules out an R rating for the Black Widow film when speaking to ComicBook.com. He rules it out in an interview. <laughs> Damn, he Kale. was asked if the rumor of Black Widow being rated R can officially be squashed. Feige said, "Yes, correct. It was never going to be." Somebody writes, Good "I hear it's R rated," and then everybody writes it up. Yeah, I don't give a shit about it's this anymore. It's never been more than a rumor. Clearly, not the rated R superstar. <laughs> Kevin, you goddamned coward. Yeah, this I'm setting up the sucks. petitions to make it a rated R movie right now. This needs oh, to happen. What the hell are we doing talking? What? Pass. Pass. Phil says right. something, but uh, I don't know. Gwyneth Paltrow has officially announced her retirement from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. She said... Who cares? Pass. <laughs> Yeah, whatever, pass. I'm tired of Gwyneth Paltrow trying to sell people fucking crystals to make their babies fart smell like cookies. Let's go. She can take her vagina eggs out of the Marvel (laughs) Universe. Who gives a shit? Fair enough. (laughs) Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is getting her own comic book. Right! See, this is the thing I need more time for. More libcard propaganda. Hey, eat shit, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) I will be when this person gets elected president. The, Sean, tell me more. The hot in more ways than one left wing congresswoman <laughs> is getting a comic book <laughs> called Alexandria Castillo Cortez and the Freshman Force, Saves which will world. be published oh. by Devil's Do Comics. Shout out to them. Shout out to Dirk Manning. A one shot special commemorative issue, which will be released on May 15th, with creators like Jill Thompson, Jose Giribaldi. And many more. It will be an anthology of short stories as the Congresswoman takes on the GOP and heroic satirical adventures. Extend, 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 fucking extend, extend. This is the raddest shit of all time. That's fucking rad. I love this. I can't wait to read it. Uh, just when you thought AOC couldn't be any cooler, I also she like becomes it. a superhero. I also like it as an uh, as an answer to the shitty uh, all the shitty Trump comics that have come out <laughs> recently. Because there were like two or three shitty Trump titles right now. Yeah. There are too many of them. Uh, yeah, it's rad. She, uh, you could get in all kinds of exploits of her daily life, like her being attacked by friendly dogs. Love to read about that. That's what? some cool shit. Yeah, she was on tw- uh, a bunch of videos got posted on Twitter of people like a bunch of dogs going up and kissing her and like hugging oh. her and her being cool because Donald Trump doesn't have a fucking pet. He got attacked by an eagle that one time. That's that cool. Cool. <laughs> The eagles know. <laughs> No, this is cool. This is cool. She's a cool person, uh, and I think five seconds. Extend. Yeah. Yeah. Hard. It's it's over. Oh, it's over. Game. Oh, we're out of time. You wasted the last five seconds, bro. Rad. 
Uh, I, I'll give us a mild success. I'll give us a mild success. You guys wanted to keep talking about that, and we just couldn't because we ran out of time. But uh, that's the game, 5 by 5 I spoke my piece. Thanks for playing. <laughs> sorry, Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> I'm, not. I'm not sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow's a dick. What's, what's the name of her shitty product that she pushes Goop. on people? Goop. Goop. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's right. Her com- that's her company, which is currently being sued but for selling people lies. They released, so they released that the same day that Longbox did, and Longbox got a bunch of listens for no reason because people thought it was Gwyneth Paltrow's yeah. shit. <laughs> wow. Have you seen she's also she's also being sued by a, a skier because she hit him while skiing and apparently broke broke his ribs. Whoa, what the fuck? But now she's countersuing him because she's the victim. <laughs> well, you know what, guys? I'm the victim because I don't <laughs> want to hear anyone talking about Gwyneth Paltrow, and so instead, we're going to move on to our main topic. Somebody hasn't been watching The View all week. (laughs) (laughs) I actually haven't. So we we talked a lot about what's going on at DC and, you know, Bleeding Cool's reporting and all that stuff. And one of the things that all of our episodes have in common, all the articles that we, you know, go over and stuff like that, is that they're all covering the comics industry. It's all the media coverage of the industry and that exists in every you know every medium of entertainment they've all got industries that are based around talking about the industry right um and i think though that comics are a little different than others and i want to talk about that so we're going to talk about how we started following the industry outside of reading comics um the value or lack thereof, of comic book reviews and how we feel like the media shapes the conversation around comics. And I think especially over the years since we started doing this podcast, there are a lot of examples and a lot of the ones that come to mind immediately are negative about how the media can actually control the way that we discuss comic books. So I want to start the conversation just by talking about how we came to follow the 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 industry so um you know what website was it that you first started looking at or are you old school enough that you started with wizard magazine or you know whatever like that what was your what was your start how'd you get your start so i uh had recently fallen in love with swamp thing and just needed more content and needed to just know more about the character and so I actually found a website called Roots of the Swamp Thing, which lists, lists out every single appearance and every single crossover with every character because this guy is, uh, he has the Guinness World Record of the most Swamp Thing paraphernalia. Um, fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I followed that list to try to track down basically every issue of any Swamp Thing crossover. And so that took me in from going backwards in sort of the Swampton direction to the new series with Scott Snyder had recently started coming out and brought me back into the fold of reading or brought me into the fold of reading weekly and monthly comic books. Uh, and then from there, it's just figuring out more about the universe and that's it. Cool. So I want to, I want to stick with you because I guess that's, that's interesting. 
What I'm really asking you, though, is how you started, like, following the industry, the behind the scenes stuff, you know, whether it was like, how did you find out about, you know, the creators behind the book or how did you, where did you first read your reviews, you know, like that kind of stuff. So that's a, that's a cool answer, Marco, but it's wrong. Damn. <laughs> I guess. I, Sean's like that teacher that gives you like a little bit of points for an essay question because it was well written, but it's like, you kind of missed the mark, you know. <laughs> Partial credit. Well, so like, I, then it would have been when I sort of learned that Diamond Comics was, uh, for like the industry stuff, like following it as a business was when I found out that Diamond was a monopoly and I needed to learn everything about like the sales of it and mm-hmm. the the side of, you know, how does this industry work and live and what are the mechanics of it? But from a content perspective, I think it started with me just starting to pick up weekly weekly books and, and me not necessarily knowing a lot about what other characters in this world were. Or who they were, and so I had to figure that out. And whatever was going on at the time, um, that is just something that like you pick up on the news and you start understanding who writes what, how it all connects back to this character, how this series and how this author is related to like this thing. It's just it. You start falling into the web, and then you start parsing out the pieces. Okay. Uh, what about you, Kale? I think initially it was very it was very small. And I don't think I I really really started following the industry um, until until Comics Alliance, and even then it was kind of sparse until I really learned the the meat and potatoes of how I um, how to make comics, and then I started looking at different facets of everything. But for me, I think my first um, my first glimpse inside. The industry itself was the the Daredevil special features of the movie uh, of the movie. Wow! <laughs> because Damn. because uh, yeah, it had to have been Frank Miller. Frank Miller was on uh, talking about the industry and how he um, he he always figured Superman and Wonder Woman should get together. Uh, because it doesn't make sense that Lois Lane is, you know, she's just a human, whatever. And at the same time, I had also started picking up Ultimate Spider-Man. And in the back of, uh, I think it's volume one, it included Mark Bagley's um, sketches of the Green Goblin. And he, he leaves a little note in there for uh, for Bendis saying that he, you know, the the cloak or whatever was going to Toga and it's not and like it was it was really those moments for me that was like oh shit somebody makes these how can i how can i learn what they do and uh, you know uh, learn more yeah I, I I feel you wholeheartedly on that, actually. Um, what about you, Pete? So mine was kind of a combination of what Marco and Kale described, where um, the first thing that actually, like the thing that gave me that aha moment that, that Kale's talking about was uh, back in the 90s, Marvel put out this like 
big hardcover like coffee table book that was like the history of the Marvel universe. Leather? And it was was it leather? Uh great big uh, orange thing on it. Yeah, I think so. I think I have, I have that. I have that book. I have. So so you know the book I'm talking about or at least the type of book I'm talking about. And um my best friend growing up was a was a guy named Jimmy and he had a copy of it and um I read the entire thing at his house one summer, like over a week when we were like, I was just at his house. And that was the first time, because I'd already like been interested in comics. By that point, I, I had already gotten into them for the first time. So I was like going to comic book stores whenever I had a chance. And I had a, a couple like volume singles and that kind of stuff. Like I, the bug had bitten me a little bit, but that was when I had that moment of like, oh, wow, like. I'm really interested in the history of this company and like how these characters came to be and like who created Spider-Man and who wrote him next and like you know like what were the the real world things going on that influenced these books and these characters and and why they got made you know like looking at it from a more uh like sociological or like anthropological level which is something that like I definitely carried into um, adulthood and it's like very much influenced the way that I like read about and consume comics and games, you know, and like why I do what we do here. Um, so that was really like what first got me in. And then I think the the next big source for me, like it wasn't a website like Your Bleeding Cools or, or you know, CBRs or any of those websites. I read a lot of those websites, but I was never a diehard for any of them in the way I was for like IGN back in the day about game stuff, it was more Wikipedia where I would get interested in a character or a creator and I would go and read the entire Wikipedia page, you know, and be like, oh, they mentioned, you know, Stan Lee a lot. I should read about him, you know, or like they mentioned, you know, um, whoever, right? Like, or this character or this run or this golden age, silver age. Like I had no idea what so many of those things or people were. And I just ravenously would read as much as I could find in Wikipedia, I would go click down to the actual primary sources and read those. So it was like a way more holistic approach to trying to learn about the industry. Um, and then when I first started going to Comic-Cons, I went to panels, you know, like even for people I didn't like. Like I hated Joe Caseta, but I went to the Cup of Joe panels to hear what he had to say about the industry and how it worked and, you know, what his perspective on it was. And um, yeah, it was really just like... Before I before comics became like socially relevant again, I was hungry for anything I could find. Like I read Scott McCloud's book. I read I watched a ton of documentaries on Netflix. It was like whatever source I could get for this level of conversation about comics was something I was hungry for. You know, so I kind of sought it out wherever it aligned with my interests. Because like I got turned on to Invincible because I watched an episode of The Walking Dead, found out it was based on a comic, and I was like, I've never heard of that. I wonder who publishes that. And then, like, that was how I got down that rabbit hole, you know? And that's how I got turned on to a lot of the things that I'm most interested in now. You know, like, I read about Kick-Ass first, where it was someone was like, oh, it's a really, like, cool subversion of superheroes. And I was like, oh, awesome. that sounds interesting. How about you, Phil? I remember my ancestors walked down the left-handed path my parents opened their third eye, and I was siphoned from the universe 616. Ugh. I came to be. What's wrong, Marco? Huh? 
What's wrong? Don't you huh? have a hard out? You better hurry up, man. Come on. <laughs> um, so I was always a pretty hardcore comic book fan. My older brother liked the 90s, late 80s Marvel stuff. He had a ton of trading cards lying around, tons of comics. Uh, I remember my first comic I ever read was X-Men. And in middle school, I would go on the IGN message boards under my brother's account because I didn't know how to make an email yet because I was in the sixth grade. <laughs> his 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 account was IZOD4. <laughs> and I used to post on the Marvel subsection pretty religiously. Uh, and I would also post on the Zoid subsection. Because <laughs> Zoids were, are fucking rad. Those were my two jams. Uh, and then I would talk to a few of those guys on AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> Oh, see, Phil is a troll, even when he first started in the internet. That's his roots, man. <laughs> and uh, it just wasn't moving fast enough, but I remember I would always argue with people over House of M on there, because I remember thinking it was trash. This was freaking 12-year-old <laughs> me, or whatever. Getting into internet fights. That's right. So from there, I moved to Killer Movie Forums, where they had a pretty well-pronounced comic subsection, and I would post on the versus section because there would be threads constantly about mm, which yeah. character would win this. And you have no idea how in detail their catalog was because their whole thing would end up having, you know, it would be centered around feats. So there would be respect threads on each character where it would be like, well, if you look here in Captain America number three, such and such and such and such, you'll see that he was capable of doing this to this character. And there was all kinds of things like plot armor, uh, um, plot-induced stupidity, piss, as they would call it, <laughs> or kit or assist, character-induced stupidity. Um, and it was like a really, like, dedicated form of people talking about this shit uh and it got so clicky that we would form groups on there i formed a group called the mongooses <laughs> of course jesus <laughs> breaking down the establishment because i remember in a futurama episode there was team a and team b and i was like and Fry said, how about the Mongooses? That's a cool name. And I was like, yes, it is. <laughs> that is a cool team name. You're right. <laughs> and I fucking photoshopped a banner for us with all of our favorite characters on it. Mine being Captain Adam, <laughs> front and center. I, oh I could God. probably still find that. <laughs> Share that. Um, Share that on Twitter. That's aged poorly. Uh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, I changed my username on there a lot. Um... But, you know, signature, forum signatures were big. Point is, uh, th these forums would open up my interest in reading other books. I never read actual uh, CBR reviews or anything. I would always go off what other people said in these message forums and be like, huh, oh, Sinestro Corps War, that sounds pretty rad. I'll read that. And I went on and read all of, you know, Green Lantern by Jeff Johns. Or everyone would worship the Bat Altar by Grant Morrison. So, of course, I read that shit. Um this is a bunch of hardcore guys and I would always talk to them on MSN Messenger at that point uh, and I just got busier and busier with like actual real life shit just getting in the way and I just kind of fell off that you know but uh, that was definitely a big foray uh, and like now you know I never missed a movie even the shitty ones like Ghost Rider and Ghost Rider 2 <laughs> uh, just 
went and saw everything. I watched every cartoon, watched every TV show, and it's something that Sean and I have talked about in this show, is we have such a smorgasbord of options now in 2019 of just different superhero and comic book adaptations that in 2007, when I was in middle school or whatever, um, if those options were around then, I would have consumed all of it. Just like osmosis, just through the pores of my skin. Um... And then, you know, I, I, I kind of fell off it a little bit in high school and college just because I got busy, but, like, it was always there. It's something I always wanted to do. Uh, my understanding of comics was always, I feel like, prisoned through Dragon Ball Z because everything in Dragon Ball Z was power levels and fighting, and that's how I, you know, that was my perception of comics in the mid-2000s, too. All right, so I really just started on, like like, most people just... Oh, I love comics, and then I uh, wanted to know more. So I remember my my place was the Marvel forums, and that's where I learned a lot of stuff and saw what people other than me thought because I didn't know anybody who read comics ever for for years, and uh, it was really the Marvel Marvel forums. And then when I wanted to know about Batman because of Grant Morrison's run, I went on no. I went on CBR. I never thought of going to the DC website for some reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I had an account there. The DC forums were bad. There you go. Uh, and then IGN was a big resource for me in terms of reviews and finding out like what you know people thought about the comics. They had some good boards, too. Did you read the uh, power rankings they used to publish? I, I read everything. Anything superhero-related, I, I read it, even if I didn't care about the character. Um, so yeah, and, 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 you know, and, and IGN had a podcast too, that I, that I also listened to. So it was a lot of that kind of stuff. And I think most people started in that, in that sort of way. Now, what I, what I want to get to is we all, generally, it seems like we all had positive experiences with the media at the start of our consumption of comics but i think what inevitably happens with any of any form of entertainment is that you get to the point where you almost know too much right and that can negatively affect the way that you consume and talk about comics um have you i guess has that ever happened to you do you feel at this point in your life that you like you know too much about the industry is the mystery gone to a point where you can't enjoy comics the same way i feel like that's true for me why don't you expound on that why do you feel that way because i'm not sure i'm not sure how i feel and i i think that's because i'm not sure about what the parameters of what you're saying are. so it, it, it could be anything right like for example um if Civil War Two came out two years after the original Civil War, I would have had a way different view on it than I do now because I know that it was rushed. I know that it was originally supposed to be written by Mark Millar, but he said no. I know that they did it because more because of the movie coming out than anything else. Like I know all those things, whereas when I was 14, I wouldn't have known that. So, yeah, okay, that's what I thought you were saying. I actually don't – I would say I feel that way on some level, but I don't think it's because of the media around comics because I'm not the most dedicated consumer of media around or about comics. 
Like, I keep up with the news, but I'm not ravenous about it in the same way that I once was. So there are a lot of, like, I, I didn't know all those details about Civil War II that you just mentioned, right? But, or at least not off the top of my head. I'm sure we talked about them at some point. Um, but my lack of interest or cynicism toward it, I think, is more because of my age, not because of the fact that I'm more dialed in than I was when I was 14. I think when I was younger, um, I didn't know everything, and that did add to some of the mystique of comics and some of the reason that I was so attracted to them. But I think I was also just a less discerning reader because I was a kid, you know? So, like, there are plenty of books that I really enjoyed when I was younger that returning to, I don't feel like they hold up as well. You know, and not necessarily because, like, my attitudes have changed, like, in terms of what I want out of art or anything like that, even though in some cases that is true. I think it's because they just weren't as good as I thought they were. And I think my my shit detectors are a lot more honed now that I'm, you know, 26 and also have been consuming comics and, and media in general rapidly and with a more critical eye for over 10 years. I don't know. You know? I don't know, man. Your shit detector might be off. You haven't read Dan Slott's Spider-Man. Yeah, I got to calibrate it, you know? <laughs> I think, like, it... So I'm not just because I think that even though you learn about some of the stuff behind the scenes, for example, the first thing that came to mind for me was the... Like most recently with uh, Border Town, and like you start to learn the context around that, and it becomes shitty. And but like that's also the way that sometimes people are, and these are sort of the events that kind of unfold. And it doesn't necessarily take away the mystique from the next book that comes out, or from the one that is like soon to come out, or the one that hasn't yet been written, right? Because that is the variety of comics is that there's always something unexpected and i think that regardless of that from a creative standpoint that's not going to go away yeah i see that i definitely see that i don't think my enjoyment of content has been really shaped by media if anything i would say uh i think i've gotten to a point where i know what i like and i don't like i think yeah so for instance i have already shaped enough of my opinions on various creative talent that if a book comes out i'll say i'm gonna read this i'm not gonna read this um now where i think the media aspect comes in because i don't go on message boards anymore is if i hear a book is good that i haven't read and has no talent on it that i was aware of something like four kids walk into a bank um then i'll give it a shot um, but it's more based around positive feedback. Omega Men came out in 2015, had no idea who Tom King was, but I heard that it was the best book that no one's reading from everyone. And I read it and I thought it was phenomenal. Um, whereas comparatively speaking, you know, Brian Michael Bendis comes out with a book in 2015. I'm less inclined to read it because I don't like a lot of his work from the last 10 years and that has nothing to do with the shaping of public perception even though he's a divisive author that's based off my own experiences but if grant morrison comes out in a book in 2015 i'm there you know i'm just gonna i'm just gonna throw this out there i think that the media 
surrounding comics is not good. Uh, not good for comics. Not necessarily even good for fans. I'm just gonna be. I'm. Just, I just. I need heat in this conversation. So I'm just gonna come out and say these things. I think that comic book reviews are pretty bad a lot of the time, and most people don't have a context for how to talk about comics in a way that actually understands the value of them. And because of that, it's reviews are are to give a person a perception of what it is that is being talked about without having to experience it. And I think that a lot of times reviews can't do that because the reviewer doesn't understand what how to express what they just experienced. And that's a problem that comic books uniquely have, in my opinion. Because with movies, there's so much history. And you 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 have a like a wealth of of information about movies and how to understand them and, and stuff like that. And the bar is higher. The bar is not as high. There is no, you know, what are those Robert and Eager or whatever those guys' names are. Robert, <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's no there's no equivalent in comics for that. Not even close. There aren't big names that review books. It's guys like whoever, like us, when we started, that just want to talk about it. And I don't think that that does a great service. Well, and I I also think um, I also think that the the perception of comics is also um, fueled by that because we're only just getting to a point where comics aren't kids' books anymore, you know, in the mainstream. And I I would I would go as far as to say that is still even in its infancy sure um so i think you know i think i think i think you're right i think that um people don't know how to talk about them because you know the history of comics and comics reviews have never really been something that any serious person would engage with i i also think that just to make a comparison uh, to, like, the world of video games, which is, like, a much younger medium, but has a way more established media around it, um, I think it's also partly that comics just have a smaller audience. I think that there's a large percentage of comics readers that are not interested in names of creators or engaging in, like oh, like, here's a thing that this person said and what does it mean and all that kind of stuff where, like, there is that kind of community around video games. And I think it's partly because comics have a smaller audience, but also I think it's partly the way that comics are made. Like, monthly comics, there's so little time between issues that, like, if you're somebody who likes comics uh, a medium amount or even a small amount, you read whatever books you read and then you wait for the next book. And you don't really give a shit about the news around it unless it's, you know, starting startlingly negative, you know. And I think there are a lot more casual comics fans than there are like casual uh, video game fans. No like, way. And also in terms of like, yeah, I don't. You don't think no, so? No, not at all. I, 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 I. Well, I guess I mean like, I don't mean like percentage wise, right? Like that there's a larger percentage of casual. Um, 
I'm getting lost in my own thing here. There's definitely, what I'm there's trying definitely to say, a greater percentage of people that play video games are casual video game players than there are a percentage of comic book readers are casual comic book readers. And my, my point is, though, that, like, I think there are a large number of people who read comics that are not, like, going to go out and start a podcast about them <laughs> or be reading Bleeding Cool every fucking day. You know, whereas there are a lot of people that are into games in that way. And I think movies, to the point that Kale made, are looked at as a more, or even TV, are looked at as a more, like, general, like, this is a thing that all adults are interested in. So it's more socially acceptable to engage in that kind of media. And it's less, like, specialist. Like, you have The Hollywood Reporter, right? But, like, you also have, like, Variety, which is, like, a just kind of a magazine style thing that like breaks a lot of major news stories, you know, whereas like there are like six different websites or media organizations that are just dedicated to being like, we do enthusiasts press about video games and other nerd shit, you know? And like, there are those for comics, but we see them going down a lot and there's not as much room for people to, I think like make a career out of it. Which makes it harder for there to be higher quality writing. Wizard was a publication I used to read all the time as a kid. I collected it weekly and it no longer exists. Uh, in general, being a magazine writer is just a much more difficult profession to secure in the 2010s compared to the 1990s by comparison. But I think the ultimate point here is that comics are a lot more niche just by design. I think that's ultimately true. Some uh, We brought up Ebert and Roper or originally Siskel and Ebert, which had... They both had a TV show in the 80s called At the Movies, and they would talk about the week-to-week of movies, which is, I guess, effectively the original podcast. Um, movies. Yeah. That's... <laughs> and the other thing with movies is even besides those two guys who no one really cares about in 2019, like they did in 1988, 89, you know, 95, whatever, is you have things like the Academy Awards, which shapes public per- perception of film. Or if you are eating food, there's a whole channel of people that are food critics, the Food Network. Um, sure. Cause, or even like the advent of stuff like uh, Rotten Tomatoes and stuff like that. Uh, like there's no thing – like there's Metacritic for games. There's nothing like that for comics that's as ubiquitous. That's, yeah. that's, that was my next point is that right now a lot of what – a lot of perception of film comes from Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter. It's an aggregate of what the collective consciousness thinks of this film. You don't really have that with comic books. When it comes to a review of a book, I think Sean's right because it is kind of like, uh, here's what we think of the art this issue. Uh, we're not really sure where the plot's going yet, but uh, this is our kind of vague perception of the story. 7 out of 10. Like, it's three paragraphs. Uh, it, it's hard. It, the, the review itself isn't mu- much of substance. Whereas if you get a review of a movie, it'll be like, I think it really explored these themes really well because a movie is a full two-hour package of a story. Yeah, reviewing a monthly comic or even like a miniseries that is on a month-to-month schedule is way more challenging because you're like, how can I review a 20-page experience without spoiling anything about it? Like, how do I meaningfully talk about it? I don't think that's like necessarily as easy as watching an entire movie or, you know, even an episode of a TV show sometimes and doing that because they're more built to be self-contained. So I I think that there like are sort of two things in that the media around it doesn't know how to talk about comics necessarily because they're sort of taking tropes from or like taking the the methodologies from TV and from movies and it's not, it doesn't translate well to this medium. 
the small that there is the also the issue of there being that smaller audience and so people not necessarily engaging with what is there already doesn't necessarily leave the room or need or want for any sort of extra more robust uh kind of reviews as i for me any kind of review that i'll go for is going to be of like a graphic novel um there's there's a really good website your chicken enemy uh that does all like all comics uh european comics and they review them but in like large summary formats and they go into like themes and and tropes them them and it's just more catered to what people kind of want but because the audience is so small that doesn't make any kind of mark so it just gets lost in in sort of the bu- the bustle that's a niche of a niche right so i guess right. that does that does make sense um yeah that kind of ties back to like the point i was making earlier too about like comics media in a broader sense that like comics are already niche so like people who want to engage on it on as deep a level are also going to be that's a small audience and it's hard to support an organization you know that like you know like like i always see people commenting on like cbr comicbook.com where they're like why are you guys writing about movies or this or that or like just focus on comics it's like well that's there's not really I don't know that there's a business to be made doing that in the increasingly like challenging media landscape that we find ourselves in where it's harder to make money. That's that's definitely true and I don't think you can really argue with that. But that doesn't really have anything to do in my opinion with the quality of the coverage. And that my problem You don't think so? No, I don't. I don't I don't think that just because there's not a ton of money in it that you know, these websites can't hold themselves to a standard. A lot of the reason why people will, will go away from a website is because if the, if the quality of the reporting is poor, I don't want to read this. But my point is that money is what makes good reporters stay. You know, like if you have uh, somebody who's a really high quality writer or journalist or whatever, and they, you know, are stuck like they want to write about comics but they're not able to secure a job where they make fifty thousand dollars a year and get health insurance but they could do that if they took their exact same set of skills and applied it to literally anything else like that does that in my mind anyway that does lead to a decline in the quality of writing and like not to throw stones or anything i saw that at cbr when I worked there was that the paycheck wasn't good enough to keep the the top quality people. So like the best writers either became editors and got a salary or they went and found another job where they get paid more, you know? And like that does lead to a turnover of the top talent. And I think you have a bigger influx of, like you said, people like us when we were trying to get into the industry where they're like, I just want to write about comics. I'll take peanuts. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot because we don't have a lot of time and I want to talk about a lot of other things. Um, so when you're talking about the media surrounding comics, you can't ignore the way that it it, it negatively dominates the conversation. So a, a great example, classic example, is the way that we talked about Captain America becoming an agent of Hydra. I was gonna bring that up as well. That. The way that media covered that event is exemplary of what I'm talking about. There isn't any other form of media that I can think of 
that would have handled that event the way they did. Um, that was disgusting. And it, and it falls on all websites that covered that, that covered it in a way that they were presenting it as something wrong. Because it's a story. And stories have twists and turns and things happen and all that. And a lot of the outcry surrounding that comic book was generated by websites who cater to people who, in many cases, don't even read comic books. So, of course, that negatively affects Marvel. That negatively affects Captain America. It probably led to a decline in readership for that book. And you can tell that Marvel very much cared about the reaction because ahead of Secret Empire, they told everybody, don't worry, he'll be back to normal. They had to do that because of the media surrounding them. That's ridiculous. Where else would that ever happen? Well, to counter that, I feel like that does happen in other mediums. Like, I don't think that's unique to comics. I think, like, I think if there, even if there weren't websites like hyping that up, you still have Twitter, you still have Facebook. All right, get to get to it, but get to get to where else that happens. Tell me where that happens. Yeah, because this was a this was a wasn't it a New York Times article or a USA Today article? Yeah, Yeah, it was. This is fucking. This is the top tier of media that not only not only shit on a storyline but then spoiled it yeah and exemplify the entire point of the issue with the comic is that no one wanted to hear or see captain america be a nazi and obviously the point of the story is that they were telling a story to get out of it but people didn't care they did not want to know that happened that's not the point of what i'm talking about i'm asking you to tell me where else this happens you said it happens everywhere else i want to know where this has happened before i've never seen that before you could easily look at the example we talked about earlier about captain marvel or like the last jedi where it's like you they wanted to create a narrative of this is bad because it's against what i believe and like it's the no, same thing no no one nah. did that no, no one no one no non comics gate website or non you know bullshit media form covered the last jedi negatively or or is covering captain marvel neg- negatively you could make an argument that that's because of politics, though, because like the Captain America being a Nazi thing is specifically something that would bother people who are more left leaning. And most websites that cover pop culture are left. leaning. Either way, the point stands. You said that it happens everywhere. I've never seen it. I've never seen any anything covered the way that that event was covered. And it, it hurt. That it hurt everything about that event. It completely spoiled the outcome. Where else has that ever happened? I've ne- you can't even do that with movies in the same way. It, it, it's 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 mind boggling that that happened, and it only happens here. And I don't understand. Go ahead. I, I just I feel like I, I get what you're saying and I don't disagree with with you in principle, but I feel like you're moving the mark a little bit because you're saying like the media spoiled it. Marvel spoiled it in reaction to the media covering it, which is a little different. Um, and that that's well, just like you're, I guess you're, I'll you're trying to, to argue that. semantics. I asked you to point to examples where this has happened and you can't do it. 
I, I can, but like you are accepting them because they're like no, different. you tried like, to, you, like, no, <laughs> you said you said you used the example of Captain Marvel. No reputable website is covering that that movie negatively. Yeah, but like, that goes back to the politics thing. Like, I don't think that there is like if if I if I had more than a few minutes, I might be able to think of like an example that is more like conservatively like an easier target, you know, because it's Punisher. How about Punisher? Punisher is a good example where I think that's actually a great example. The first season of that show got bombed by tons of critics and a, and you and I specifically were like, oh, I feel like this has more to do with the politics of this show rather than people actually watching it and disliking it. It's kind of true of the Iron Fist show too in a different way. No, it isn't. Yeah, the Iron exa- Fist show sucked. No, but, but that doesn't <laughs> matter because people decided it sucked before it came out. So like that's exactly what Sean's talking about. Like, that was the narrative with Iron Fist. He should have been Asian, so this show's bad. And then it was actually bad, but there was hate and uh, negative conversation and press around this show and hot take think pieces like you're talking about, about that issue. And I think that is, like, similar to what we're talking about here. And it's not one for one, I'll give you that, but I, I, don't, I don't think that it's as unique to comics as, as I guess, as as you're making it out to be. And that's, that's all and I'm trying to say. Honestly, it's kind of true of anything. When Donald Trump talks about drawing from the uh, North American Free Trade Agreement, no one has any perception of what that is, but everyone's immediately like, oh, that's bad. I don't know what it is, but it's bad. And you immediately have a bunch of pieces saying why it's bad. And honestly, I, I wasn't a fan of it, but the reality is without even any context, the entire public perception is this is bad before it even happens. I don't, I don't know what Phil just said, but... <laughs> I would also point out that the two properties, Pete, that you listed are also comics properties. Yeah, I, I just like I, I'm I'm trying to think of an example when it comes to like games or movies or something, but like I don't know that much about movies, and when it comes to games, most game outlets are liberal. So like the outrage is always the right wingers are mad about something because it's too feminist or too whatever or too gay or and. and and then there's a conversation about that. But the press is always on the side of the liberal thing because games press is liberal. Well, I mean, look at anything that has any kind of negative publicity or coverage of uh, something that's religious. You have a lot of right-wing organizations get really upset about the coverage of that. Uh, comic book related, we just talked about two of them. So, Sean, uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't have an example, so I'm not going to bullshit like the rest of these guys. Thank you, Marco. I'm trying to keep the conversation moving, man. I just did. I just Let's came, move I just it. Came <laughs> Thank you. You came up with examples that aren't even related to entertainment. What are you talking about? Jesus. Yes, I did. No, NAFTA has nothing to do with entertainment. NAFTA has know, nothing to do with entertainment. What brought, are you talking about? Don't Batman. you have to leave? Damn, you have I to do. leave. You have to leave, and you want to talk about NAFTA on a comic book podcast. This is <laughs> what I'm talking about. What are you? How is that related to the conversation? Because we're, talking, not, we're no, talking about... No, no. I don't want you to filibuster anymore. Stop it. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that is insane. We're talking Phil. about the, no, the no, no more, Phil. No more. You can't talk about Donald Trump every single <laughs> segment. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> every segment, it's 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 some politics or the Academy Awards. Leave it alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
that note, the Academy Awards are tomorrow night. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I I have to end the show, and I feel like we've barely talked about this thing. I Can I Go ahead. Do you, may I? Yeah. I'll end the show. I've got I've got one last point that I um let me just uh, let me just throw it out there. So, uh when we started this conversation, Sean asked us for our introduction to uh the industry through media and phil had the fucking gall to give us his goddamn life story and then in the middle of this segment this motherfucker said oh yeah wizard was a a magazine that i read for years when i was a kid and i loved it that was all i wanted I completely forgot so about it. Are you, it are you goddamn telling me that you could have said, oh yeah, I read Wizard Magazine? I forgot about and it. And it would have saved us 10 goddamn minutes? I forgot that the I show, read Sean. it. I have to end the show. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I, I, have to, I have to end the show. I wanted Jeez, to talk about this, this, but I guess not. I guess we're not doing that. I guess we're talking about NAFTA. Podcast to the fucking comics acquaintances now. I'm tired of this Jesus shit. Christ. Another good example from a political perspective is I'm I'm tired of you. I am absolutely tired of you. Uh, we'll we'll I guess we'll continue this conversation another time. I think there's a lot of meat on the bone. Um, there is a lot to be said. Maybe maybe one day Pete and Phil will be down to actually have a conversation about this that makes sense. I, Until then, uh, though, we're gonna have to. I don't appreciate being lumped in with Phil. I didn't. Bring then why did you bring? Then why did you say uh, the tolerant left, right, Phil? Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be funny. I'm trying to lighten the right. mood. <laughs> so, I am interested, though, to hear what you guys at home have to say about your experience with the coverage of comic books and how it may have shaped your opinions about certain things, which can be hard to tell. But you know, if you if you are that self aware. Um, whether or not you find comic book reviews to be valuable and everything like that. So feel free to let us know. There are plenty of ways you can do that. You can hit us up on social media at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. Uh, and if you're on YouTube, you can hit us up on there. Of course, while you're there, you can subscribe to our channel. We've got tons of awesome content either out already or on the way. Uh, we've got our Hellboy book club that's out. We've got Klaus. We've got Captain Marvel right around the corner. So stay tuned for that. Um, and of course, next week we will be reviewing Heroes in Crisis number six. So lots of cool stuff on the horizon. Uh, let's do some plugs. Pete. Hey, thank you so much for joining us here in another episode of The Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me on uh, Instagram, or on Instagram, on social media, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, uh, at loud underscore Pete. You can come talk to me about any of the stuff we talked to, uh, about this week, and um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, uh, or like what your intro to comics were, you know? I think that's like always a really fun conversation to have with somebody, so uh, I'd love to hear from you. If you want to get some more content from me, you can find us over on our sister show, The Video Game Pals, along with Sean. Uh, where, as you might have guessed from the title, we talk about video games. Um, and then uh, you can also find my work over at LootPots.com, where I do uh, Nintendo-focused stuff, um, you know, news reviews, that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, go check it out. Awesome. Kill. You can find me at TotoInTo, that's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can find uh, my comics and stuff on Comixology under Panels Publishing. Um, and... Um, 
Uh, don't come talk to me. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty safe standard. All right, fair enough. Uh, Phil, if you want to be on the right side of history, listeners, and join Team Mongoose in the 2010 incarnation, now is your opportunity. Hit me up on social media at Cyborg Bebop hashtag Team Mongoose. Uh, Marco is uh, he got tired of the conversation, so he just I, I, he I just did. dipped out I, I together. Just, oh, oh, you're yeah, back. Oh, I made it. Hey, everyone. Well, you wouldn't have gotten known anyway. So like. <laughs> Uh, you can what? find me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. And I am reading the second volume of Lock and Key. And I'm enjoying it. So talk to me about Lock and Key. I'm very, very excited about where the story is going. And I think I'm going to get the rest of the series now, like 100%. Very cool. Uh, as for me, I am on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about what I was trying to talk about on the show that the rest of these goofs wouldn't follow me on. Except Marco. Uh, and uh, we can, we can, except Marco. Oh, right, and right, and Kale, Kale, of course. Um, <laughs> Nafta. I to say this when it's a good, a good episode, when it's just me, Marco, and Sean. There you go. With that, we're the comics. I can take next Saturday off if you guys want. <laughs> we, you can take any time you want off. Everybody does. With that, we're the comics <laughs> pals signing off. Take care, guys. Bye. See you next week. North American Free Trade Agreement. Oh, NAFTA.